Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Good morning, Eric. It is a good morning. I mean, it's a good morning, relatively speaking. We're still in quarantine. We're still in lockdown. California seems to be falling apart. You've jettisoned our city because you knew that the fall was coming. And so you got to safe quarters. And I'm over here just in the cesspool Petri dish of Los Angeles. It suits you well. I started this by saying it's a good morning. (laughs) (laughs) That went off the rails, especially quick. Normally it takes us a couple minutes to get there. Uh, so, so what is it? Just your your hiding out in your pool? Is that it? I'm hiding. I mean, I'm not in the pool, but I'm definitely hiding out. I don't leave the house. I mean, I just do not leave the house. I mean, this is really good for the number of miles on my lease for my car because that car is just, uh, you know, lawn furniture at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's only reason we can get out here is because there's so many less people. It's, uh, it's really a matter of avoiding people at all costs, because at this point, you just assume it's everywhere, on everything, floating through the air, and why, why take a chance on interacting with people who I don't like very much anyway? Yeah, I'm with you, man. I only, um, like, I only like people in Bloomington. That's what I've decided. I know. And surrounding areas. I mean, I, I like any Hoosier fan in the state of Indiana and beyond. I'm good well, with. Well, a lot of the people in Bloomington, when we go back, they're coming in from other places like we are. But it's, it's being in Bloomington that makes us all wonderful all of a sudden. We're, we've escaped the realities of the real world. And we're in our, our happy place, our Brigadoon. It's there for a little while. And then... And then it goes away when we do. And if you ever had reason to question how special of a place Indiana is, when you look at the COVID map that has been put out over the last week or two, where it color codes every state, uh, like uh, the warning red for, you know, it's increasing in Mm -hmm. corona cases. 
There's only two states in the country that are not, and Indiana is one of them. Now, is there a chart right next to it that shows how much those two states are testing? I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. Yeah. But why do you have to dig so deep? Why do you have to dig so deep? <laughs> I'm why just trying to keep it real. with the narrative? Yeah, well. <laughs> what? What was that? Well, the, the narrative uh, as presented by you, there's many reasons I won't just accept the narrative presented by you. Mostly uh, for well, enter- entertainment purposes. Yes, that's why you should just go with it. No, no, conflict. That's what the people Oh, want. you like the conflict. That's what they oh, want. No, not well, me. Not me. The people. The people. The people may want conflict between us, but there is something that I am hoping the people want more than conflict between us. To own a piece and of future history? No, I wasn't going there, Ward. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to cheapen it with, with a plug for glassware. Okay. What I was going mm-hmm. to do was talk about that beyond conflict with the people is a voice. They want a voice representing oh, sure. them at the highest levels mm-hmm. of Indiana University. They want a representative who can speak to their hopes, to their dreams, to their desires. They want someone to go in there and speak truth to power. Yeah. They want eyes and ears in the shape that decide the future of our beloved Indiana University, what they want is they want a Hoosier hysteric sitting trustees of Indiana University. And that is why on our latest Reasonable Rabbi episode, we made the announcement that I am officially running for Indiana University Board of Trustees. We didn't just make the announcement. We came up with the whole idea on the spot. (laughs) That's true. This was not thought out. Just like everything we do, this this is organic. This is grassroots. Look, the podcast wasn't thought out either, and that's worked out pretty well. So we're just going with it. We made the announcement. Now, I do want to update people. Yeah, please. I have several emails to the woman who is in charge of candidates for the Board of Trustees. She has yet to return an email of mine. Because they're now, afraid. They're afraid. The power afraid. structure is nervous. They are. But I do want to make clear, this is not a joke. We are running. Ward is my consigliere. Rabbi is Luca Brasi. And we are going to run for the Board of Trustees. Now, I did some research and found out that I believe I missed my window. I'm sure I missed my window for 2020. However, 2021, there's an election every year, and I'm going to run at the earliest possible time, and it's going to be 2021, which gives us a year to mobilize our fundraise.com family. Fundraise. Fundraise. (laughs) We're not necessarily saying where that money will go, but we will fundraise. And we are going to sit on the board of trustees at Indiana University because it is about time that the voiceless get a voice at the upper echelon of the decision-making process at Indiana University. And, and you mentioned the fact that this is not a joke. Is it hilarious? Yes, but it's not <laughs> a joke. <laughs> that is a great way to put it. That should be our slogan. Okay, yeah. That is really good. Is it a joke? No. Is it hilarious? 
Yes. <laughs> Benkowski, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> yes. Um, I also have, uh, if we need to shorten it, the slogan of, why not? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, mean, I think multiple slogans. We have enough time here. We're yeah. going to we're gonna have to rotate through the content, keep it fresh. But I tell you what, Eric, I believe in you. You know I do. But we can't do this, just you and me. Nope. What, what really is going to make this dream a reality is the Pigsters. What other trustee, because as we discussed with Rabbi on, on Reasonable Rabbi, was six are appointed, six trustees are appointed by the governor of Indiana. We could Actually, pretty five. Oh, five. Okay. Yeah, I think it's five appointed, three elected. Oh, wait a minute. There are nine total. Yeah. One of them is a student trustee. Okay. So, so five I appointed, three elected, appointed, one student. I think, I think that's what it is. Yeah. But uh, I doubt whoever else is running those three can turn to a podcast of hardcore Hoosiers who really have the same agenda as their candidate, which is seeing Indiana back on top in basketball, first and foremost. So we have a distinct advantage coming out of the gates. And it's, that's the Peaksters. That's you, the listener. Not just you, but those in your circle, your fellow alums. I'm telling you what, if you, who's listening right now, you get a few of your other who's your buddies to return those ballots, which we've been told there's a really low turnout, if you will, in, 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 in voting for the trustees. It can really happen. It can really, really happen. Look, crazier things may have happened. I don't know. I can't think of a crazier thing. I but can. Ex except for one. Yeah. But, um, but, but crazier things may have happened in the past. This one's up there. But we're going to go for it. We're going to go full bore. And as time goes on, I will reveal more of our platform for what we are running for as soon as we figure it out. Yeah, no, I think it's it's good just to, we have the time to take now for better or worse. Um, and at, per your request, I'm pretty sure the uh, campaign song is, I think it's done. What? Yeah, is it? I, I, it is. Of course, I'm really hesitant to play it for you because I'm pretty sure you won't like it. We're going with it, whether I like it or not, just so you know. Right. As as with the theme song, we just yeah, barely no right past you. No notes. Great. And you know, I'll be I'll be listening to the fans once we debut it and uh we'll see where that goes. I'm not sure yet though if it's gonna be accompanied by my rudimentary guitar playing or my rudimentary piano playing. So that's that's part of the delay. But I feel lyrically, structurally, it's there. What what about both? Can you do can you do two instruments on this thing? Potentially, potentially, it may it may end up just sounding like we we went into a second rate grade classroom and, uh -huh. and just sure. record. But uh, I will have to get back to LA for the real piano sound. My my janky keyboard here in Arrowhead would not suffice with the keys. Is it inspired by the Hoosier Hysterics theme song? Well. I, I wanted it to sound like it came from the same universe, but not be okay. redundant. So, yes, I feel like those who enjoy this theme song, it's like comes off of the same album, but hopefully is different enough in tempo and style and, and chord structure. 
uh, but it is it is ridiculous while also being sincere. All right. Well, I'm excited. What, do you have any idea on when the national debut of this song, the theme song, that really will be the rallying cry for our campaign? Do you have any idea on a timeline? Because you well, know, people I, are asking. Yeah. Well, I felt the next time we get the the whole campaign staff together on Zoom and we'll lay out the the timeline, how we're going to roll out different elements of the campaign, the commercials, uh, all that kind of stuff, the, the merchandise, that we'll figure out when it's best to slot that in. And, uh, and yeah, and then we'll unleash it upon the people. I think what we should do is play it for the first time for the people and mm -hmm. me. Yeah, yeah, get a, a, a live reaction. Yeah, you don't send it to me first. Let's just, when you're ready, we'll play it on the podcast and let everybody hear it the same time that I hear it and get my initial reaction. Yeah, yeah, great, great, okay. <laughs> That'll be good. That'll be really good. All right, well, look, once we do win this thing, which we are uh, supremely not confident we will, but once we do, we will all toast each other by raising a piece of IU history to the sky, clanking glasses. We will all previously have gone to collegegradshop.com forward slash hysterics, selected for a 12, 16, 24, or a gross of this great glassware, and it will be prepped and ready for, for the victory night speech, which I'm sure you will so eloquently present to the people of Peaks Nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um but look the the truth is we will owe a lot to iu um collegegradshop.com forward slash hysterics when we win this mm -hmm. and of course we will owe a ton the to whole the campaign engine. will be powered by Whatever you did that time, Zoom like, liked that 98% of the time. For me, I went to an air show on the 4th of July, and you sounded like one of the stunt planes. So <laughs> that, I, was, I was looking out my window to see if it was approaching the, the second story here. But no, that, that, if you're a little farther from the mic or wherever you had your decibel level or the pitch, that one held strong. All right. Well, good to know. I'll try to replicate it for all the people that love it which uh, you can count on one finger in, uh, in the future. <laughs> um, but let's get to, 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 to today's guest because, you know, we have run the gamut on who we have talked to when it comes to Indiana University representatives, let's say. We have had the opportunity, even in some, of, um, in some shorter stints, like when we were at Indiana for the game, where we got to talk to some managers that have been on the Indiana team. We got to talk to a gentleman who was a role player in the 50s, you know, who was there with his uh, son and grandson. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten to talk to unquestioned legends of Indiana that belong on the Mount Rushmore. 
And what I have so appreciated about doing this is that no matter who we talk to, we hear incredible stories. And there is simply no correlation between what their the performance of somebody on the court to how important, insightful, compelling their story is off the court, if you will. Yeah. And we have found that time and time again with people. Um, I'll, I'll use Jeremiah Rivers as an example. You know, there were some comments that people were like, wow, how do you go from Steve Alford and Isaiah Thomas to Jeremiah Rivers? And then people listen to the podcast and were like, holy crap, it gives me such a better understanding. And you've said it over and over again, Ward, they are people. They are all 360 degree people, three-dimensional people. And generally speaking, more interesting than normal people because they've, they've had this journey and a, lot of, and a lot of times it's been a tumultuous journey. And you know, we're out here in the storytelling business and you never wanna just watch a story where it's just all success all the time. And so you get these really compelling cases of people like Jeremiah, like today's guests, who, who came in with so much hype and so much promise. And when you hear about the struggles to achieve that potential, it really makes for dramatic storytelling and, and ultimately draws you closer to them as a human being because I struggle every day. Usually just to get out of bed is a real <laughs> struggle. So when you see these guys who certainly coming in have almost a superhuman status about them, and then you see where luck circumstance can often play into why they don't live up to maybe even unrealistic expectations. It just creates an understanding that that gives you a greater appreciation for the thousands of people who have gone through the program and built it to what it is today. Absolutely. Well said. And uh, look, this gentleman's time crossed over with our time mm -hmm. at Indiana. So that's always gives us a special bond. Um, and we get into a little bit more of why we had such high hopes for this guy. And, uh, and, and when you hear him discuss the pitfalls of his career and kind of some of the shortcomings, it just provides this incredible context where you're like, man, I'm just this idiot fan who like thinks that guys aren't doing the work if they're not good enough. And clearly on most of these, that's not the case on some. It is some players don't put in the work and that, that leads to, you know, them not realizing anywhere close to their potential. I don't think that was the case with this gentleman. No, I think but that it, this is a guy who busted his butt and it just didn't work out the way that he wanted it to, the fans wanted it to, and the coaching staff wanted it to. And, and here's a, a guy, and again, really previously to, to you introducing me to Peegs, I was mostly just watching what was going on the court my whole life. And especially back then in college, it's the same thing. I'm not tuning into press camp conferences afterwards. And even there, how much do you really get from one of the players, especially? And so to actually get to talk to the guy and get a feel for his personality, and there's so much energy and humor and really the case of keeping it real, you know, having, having this, yes. you know, 20 plus years to look back on it, being a, a mature adult who's gone on to many interesting and fulfilling things in his life to have somebody just keep it so real 
is not only refreshing, but again, it just draws you a little bit closer to the person because of, of this charisma, really. It, it was one of those ones where maybe on the court, particularly is, is how you would sort of judge how much does somebody show their personality out there and what can you take from that. And here's a case of a guy I think we've had many in the past that you don't get a lot of the personality on the court. And then you talk to him for a few hours and it's just bubbling over and really engaging. The other thing I'll, I'll say, and look, we are Bobby Knight aficionados. I mean, we love him. He was our idol. He Devotees. was devotee, better than aficionados. He, he was everything to us, but he was also such a larger than life personality that to your point, when Bobby Knight was the coach of Indiana, it was harder to get a sense of the personality of the players other than what you saw on the court, which, which oftentimes is not what the personality of the person is off the court. But Coach Knight was just such a larger-than-life personality. He dominated everything and no social media back then. So, you know, today you can get a sense of, like, Deron Davis was a good example. Deron uses social media. You can get a sense a little bit of his, of his personality. He puts out little videos every once in a while. He was doing video diaries for Indiana. So you could tell this was a gregarious, fun-loving personality. That stuff didn't happen, you know, in the, obviously, 50s, 60s, 70s, but all the way through the 90s and into the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So, again, we get a peek into these guys that we never had a chance to see before. And almost always, it totally contradicts what your preconceived notion was, because we're basing it on nothing. And the other thing I want to say before we get into it is, I think it behooves us all also, and hopefully this podcast does it, to relook at this gentleman's career. Because in hindsight, it's a hell of a lot better than I think we all thought it was when it ended. And sure. part of it, part of it was that his career had a weird arc, and he did not end at his peak. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. but but when you look at many of the games that he had, I mean, this guy turned this guy was a solid college basketball player for a power five school. And uh, it, it warrants a, a closer look. Um, and I hope that this podcast sheds a little bit light on what he did accomplish instead of the focus on what he didn't accomplish. Because well, I, he, he wore the candy stripes. And, and hearing you well. say that, hearing you say that, it's like, man, we can apply that to so many people post nineteen ninety three. Yes. That that so often these players come in with this level of hype, and the expectation isn't just on personal statistics, but team success. And since that has been so rare uh, in the last twenty five plus years, a lot of times that that sort of takes the players down with them when the teams didn't get back to the heights we were all hoping for and expecting. And again, a lot, almost exclusively that's out of any individual player's control. So then when we get this chance to go back and look like you showed up for X number of years and, and what did you put out on the floor as your contribution? And again, yeah, this, this is a case of where if the guy didn't have ridiculous expectations coming in, I don't think anybody would think there was anything disappointing about his career with, you know, the ups and downs you alluded to. We'll get into that. But your point stands, another really solid contributor and somebody whose story not only deserves to be told, 
it's really engaging to listen to. So I hope everybody has half as much fun with this gentleman as we did. Quick apology for the quality. This was done right at the beginning of the COVID corona crisis when Ward and I were still figuring out how to do this remotely. And uh, so we did this over a regular phone line. We, we hope you bear through it because we, we do think it's compelling and the content is good enough to compensate for the, the lack of quality. We apologize. This will probably be the last of those that, that we have in the, in the can, but uh, hope you stick to the end. And, and to match the quality of the interview, Spectrum decided to cut out their internet service for Eric. So probably this intro and outro will be closer to the quality of the interview than we want. Yeah, just one big cluster, you know what. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as we all know, those who went to Indiana University in the mid to late 90s are the best people on earth. And we happen to have one of those fine, fine people with us here today. Eric, would you please tell the folks listening at home about this fellow mid to late 90s Hoosier that we're talking with. Yes, we will call him a peer of ours since we were there at the same time. Absolutely. We are talking to a gentleman who hails from South Florida, a gentleman who lettered all four years for his varsity basketball team in South Miami High School. He was the leading scorer in the entire state of Florida his senior year, averaging 32 points per game. He was selected to play in the Magic Johnson Round Ball Classic, a national high school all-star game. He was the 1994 Florida Gatorade Player of the Year, a McDonald High School All-American. He played on the Junior World Qualifying Team. By the way, the only other Indiana Hoosier to ever play on the Junior World Qualifying Team, and this is an interesting one, is Calvert Chaney. In 1995, he represented the United States at the Junior Olympics in Athens, Greece. He played for four years for Indiana under coach Robert Montgomery Knight. He is 69th all-time in scoring at Indiana University, and after leaving Indiana, had a very successful seven-year career playing professionally across Europe and the United States. He has dedicated his life to the game of basketball. He is a peer of ours, and as Ward said, the best people went to Indiana in the mid to late 90s. Please welcome Charlie Miller. Hey. Um, do me a favor, Ward. I didn't catch all of that. Can you say that again, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was Eric. So I need to do my, my oh, best oh, impression of Eric bad. and try to repeat it. <laughs> my bad, Eric. Sorry. Hey, listen, that's okay. Um, wow. Hey, I tell you what, man. Um, I can listen to that all day. God, <laughs> especially what we're going through now across the country and the world. We we need a little bit of um, edifying, right? That, that That's was, right. I appreciate that intro. I mean, I really do. Well, yeah, now, we got to have you, by the way. We, sure, we're, we're, we're going to send you uh, comparable stuff about us. I mean, we don't have any athletic talent. And if you could read that back to us, we we really need that right now. Hey, we, Jimmy, i tell you what. Um, you send it, and I, I'll send your intro. I got you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, so Charlie, before we get into your story, why don't uh, why don't you tell us how you and your family are doing, uh, and give us all an update on what your family is like for those of, for those Indiana Hoosiers who have lost touch with you over the last several years. Uh, give mm-hmm. us just a kind of current status with uh, your family, where you're at, and also how you're doing in in dealing with the uh, 
the, the craziness surrounding the coronavirus. Right. So, one, again, fellas, I appreciate your time and your efforts uh, of having me on your podcast. It means a lot uh, to connect with fellow Hoosiers. Uh, two, family-wise, um, my wife, her name is Meredith Miller, and um, I have four kids, by the way, so let's talk about um, the older kids. I have a 21-year-old. Um, her name is McKaylin Miller, um, and she actually has a son, so I'm a grandfather. Whoa! Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> no way, so breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. Sean Miller's a grandfather, right? So, so I, <laughs> so my my oldest daughter, McKaylin, has a son. Um, I have a 18 year old who is uh, following suit. He actually lived with me this past year in Dallas, Texas, uh, by way of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, he spent his senior season here playing basketball, and he is looking to play prep school ball somewhere in the New England area. Mm. Uh, this coming, and we're, and we're talking about that in detail coming up shortly. Um, so that's my first marriage. Second marriage now, my wife, her current wife is Meredith Miller. Um, we have a seven-year-old daughter. Her name is Olivia. And uh, I have also a four-year-old son. His name is Aiden. And Aiden is all basketball. He He's already mentioned, it's pretty cool and pretty neat. He mentioned out of nowhere a couple weeks ago, I'm going to play college basketball. And, and we all were like floored because I'm like, where'd that come from? <laughs> like, first wow. of all, why'd you signify college? And now uh, it might be, we may have to talk about my behaviors as a father, but um, I use that for everything. If you eat your broccoli, you can play college basketball. He says, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll take one for the team pretty much, right? So it's like all these little things in Senate on college basketball, and it's like, take a bath early. I got you. Go to sleep early. I got you. College basketball. Okay, got you. So, <laughs> By the way, life. we just, Charlie, we just need to add one thing to that, your son saying he's going to play basketball, college basketball. It needs to be, I'm going to exactly. play college basketball exactly. at Indiana University. At Indiana. So, there so you it go. Looks, so right now, we have some um, affirmations going. We got the, uh, he, he's kind of seeking into him unconsciously, right, subconsciously. So I'll just throw Indiana coming up very soon. So I got you. Good. Very good. So, Charlie, let's let's go back to the beginning of your basketball story down there in South Florida, uh, where I assume you, you're you not in Florida now. You're in Dallas? I'm in Dallas now, yeah. So uh, you're, you're correct. I, I grew up in South Florida. I grew up, was called South so you grew up in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Can you, listen, up you, up listen, Can you say that again? I'm listening. Yes, yeah, so okay. I grew up in South Florida. So let's go back. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. Sorry about that. That's okay. All right. So give Can us you your okay? background. Yeah, just tell us where you grew up and how you found the, the game of basketball. Gotcha. So I grew up in South Florida. The city I grew up in was called South Miami uh, in, in Florida. And... Um, how I found basketball was uh, through my sister. My sister, um, Hope Butler, who played all sports, um, but it was more of just watching her play all these sports, and, and then it became a time where I was getting taller, and I was able to wear her shoes. She was a senior in high school, and <laughs> I think I was, like, in the fourth grade wearing, like, a size 8, you know, men's or whatever. Not, I just remember putting her shoes on and saying, hey, 
look at what I have on. And, and this was back in the day where you had tube socks, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you had the white socks with orange or brown stripes, which were representing the, the high school uh, that we all end up going to in my neighborhood, uh, South Miami High. But that's how I found it. It was more so, again, watching my uh, older sister play all these sports, but really have a love for basketball. Um, also, fellas, the pretty neat thing about what which Hope did was uh, Hope ended up going to play basketball at the University of Miami, which was mm-hmm. literally a five-minute walk from the neighborhood. I mean, like, when I say five-minute walk, like, all in from my house to the University of Miami's campus was a five-minute walk. And um, so she ended up playing at the University of Miami, and they would practice and play on campus. This is back, like, late late 80s, early 90s. So I had an opportunity as a 10, 11, 12-year-old to ride my bike to watch her practice, to ride my bike to watch games. And I remember trying to, you know, really placate and trying to impress all of her teammates by going to the local Domino's pizza and, and asking them for free pizzas and bring to the girls' team. And I did. Smooth. Right? Smooth. So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so all those things kind of added up to, I guess, practicing – Getting myself getting ready for it, uh, playing basketball, and, and and I'll share quickly kind of transitioning. So now here it is. My first love in sports was really baseball. It was not basketball; it was baseball, mm-hmm. and that kind of came by way of just me uh, walking by the baseball diamond one day, and one of my football coaches was like, "Hey, come over here and uh, take a swing," and I did. And one thing led to another, and, and all of a sudden. I'm making all-star teams, playing in Mexico City as an 11-year-old, traveling the country, playing baseball. And at the time, I can't really say it was elite and all these select things we talk about today as we uh, title these things, but I was just having fun. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to be really good at it. And uh, what happened was I, I was getting taller. I stopped playing football because I just got, I got tired of getting hit. <laughs> um, I was getting taller. And then and, and one day, uh, you know, we're playing uh, at the local uh, elementary school. These are the seven, eight-foot baskets. And everyone is dunking the basketball like Michael Jordan because this is when Come Fly With Me came out, if you remember that, guys. Yeah, Michael of Jordan course. kind of like biography. And everyone's dunking on the seven-foot uh, seven rims. And, and, and all of a sudden, I was able to dunk on, 12, on, on, on a regular basket, 10-foot rims. <laughs> and I was 12 years old. And wow. it was, it was, it, and I, I can't – now, this may be another podcast as I kind of know who I am now at 43, but there, there, was, there was no jump training. I can't say it was all natural either. I, I don't know where it came from, fellas, but I was 12, you know, dunked the basketball. And that's where my future high school coach came to watch me play at a local boys and girls club game. And um, he came to watch us play. I was, you know, out there shooting, dunking. And this is something that we also did in Miami by season. We played basketball in the winter season because the spring was baseball for me, which Mm -hmm. was pretty much year-round. And then football was in the fall. So we played the the sport by the season. But he came to me um, by way of Detroit, Michigan area. He said, hey, man, you got an opportunity to be really good. He was saying all these names like you can be as good as Glenn Rice. I saw Magic Johnson grow up and play, and I'm like, who are these guys you talk about? First of all, <laughs> where am I in Florida? 
I worship the University of Miami football players. You're, you're bringing on Glenn Rice, uh, Steve Smith. I'm like, who are these names? You know, I'm like, who are these guys? I don't care about these guys. You know, and I'm like, and he was scaring me to be honest with you because I'm like, first of all, I don't really see what you what you see in me in basketball because I really don't do this. But I took a chance. I showed up at his high school practice in seventh grade, practicing with high schoolers, and for the next two years. Um, he didn't make me, but he offered for me to come every morning at 5.30 during the school year to practice with the team, and I did. So 7th, 8th, ninth grade, I was getting up at 6 in the morning working out. And then my very first game as a freshman, ninth school, I scored 30 points. Lo and behold, <laughs> I guess he saw something that I didn't see, and that's my way of playing basketball. Oh, that, 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 it was lucky for all of us that, uh, he saw that in you, but before well, we, I, oh, I say oh, this, I want to, I want to say this real quick, because this is to me very interesting. If he does not come to that game on a Friday night, because he wasn't, he didn't have to, you were talking about going to a seventh, eighth grade game, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not putting it down, but if he doesn't show up at that game, I'm not on the phone with you guys. Mm. Wow. I'm out in front of you guys. So before we continue on with your uh, incredible basketball career in, in, in high school and beyond, you mentioned your sister, Hope, but I thought this would be a good time to ask you about your older brother, James, and how important he was for you growing up and, and beyond. Well, <clears throat> you, you bring up a great point because a lot of what I do today as far as coaching and training, um, I have to contribute to both because I'll tell you a whole story in a second. But James is a tremendous uh, deal. So James, uh, so we all can know, um, James was paralyzed at birth. And fellas, to tell you, to share with you, James passed away a couple years ago. Mm. Um, Sorry. Uh, that's okay. I appreciate it. Uh, but but uh, James was paralyzed at birth, and he spent the majority of my life, my life, in the hospital. Uh, for 30-plus years, he spent in the hospital, in the same hospital wing. He changed uh, rooms, but pretty much the nurses and the doctors are like brothers and sisters. Mm. Um, because I saw them grow up from, like, residency to doctors, right? Wow. I saw the nurses yeah. grow up from graduating to now, you know, doing things 10 plus years in. So, um, James was, was someone who was what I would call the epitome of compassion. Um, he just got it. He got life. And, 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 you know, um, think about these things too. And these are things that I was doing when I was 10 and 11. We all took care of James. I didn't think anything of it, you know, and I say this intimately speaking, you know, helping him use the restroom, feeding him, washing him. Those are things I thought were normal. I mean, that, that was my everyday life growing up. Um, I thought that was normal. But as I get older, I realized that compassion really helped as far as soft skills and being resilient and forging through. Because I always think about James, not in a way where it's sad. Like, what would James do? James would complain about this. Let me go finish this. Let me go do it. Yeah, Coach Knight's getting on me. What James would do? You know, and that, that was that was my favorite grace to be honest with you fellas. Um, but James was very instrumental on helping me grow up. 
and giving me a capacity drive that I really can't take credit for. It was really having an example bit there for me all my life. And I appreciate you mentioning him in this conversation. Well, it's interesting, Charlie, because we, we've had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of former Indiana players. And mm-hmm. there, there are a few who had to deal with something in their family life at an early age that kind of forced them to face reality of life in a way that many kids just don't have to. You know, most kids live a carefree life. And most talk to people who've had siblings who had special needs, or in your case, you know, you grew up, um, you know, and I read that that every Sunday you would go be with your brother when you were growing growing up. Um, Do you think that that helped you um, help provide kind of a maturity level that allowed you to deal with everything that would come in your life, which in these high school years, what's coming to you is a pretty uh, roller, big roller coaster ride of high end coaches coming and promising you things and money being, I'm mm-hmm. sure, thrown at you and just you having to keep your head on straight. I think it helps to have a, a life perspective that most kids don't have. Well, <clears throat> you bring up a great point. And I share now at 43, fellas, and I say this in in, in humility. Um, A lot of what I thought I worked on, I I worked towards, no, life provided. When you are dealing, when you are living with somebody who needs, who has special needs, life provided that for me. So think about that built-in compassion system. Think about the soft skills that come with that. That was not my doing. That was not my doing. That was life. And being mature at an early age, right, um, being able to travel and see the country and the world and play different sports and hang with different people and understand how to interact with people, that was life. I can't say that was my skills. That wasn't anything I worked towards because I was doing these things subconsciously. I was unaware. So. Um, Yes. I mean, you talk about, you know, at the age of 10, 11, taking care of someone like you're an adult. That plays a huge role. So I'm not taking this lightly, but when you got somebody like a coach not yelling at you, that ain't nothing. Mm. <laughs> I'll be talking about it. I'm being honest with you because I'm like, okay, what's the, man, you know, I, I'm not, you know, again, I say this loosely, but, you know, with respect, okay, so he's yelling at me. Yeah, I'm not getting my way. Okay, cool. We're not talking life or death. We're right. not talking. We're not talking anything other than he wants something to get done and accomplish in his way that I have to get better at doing. Okay, we get it. But again, that's me and my example. And I'll give you guys a story. Um, at Indiana, and it, when it came to Coach Knight, because Coach Knight. I, one of the things was mentioned earlier in the conversation was about all these coaches, high-level coaches coming down to visit and tell you and promise you all these things. Well, my um, request from Coach Knight was, if you're going to come recruit me, you have to come meet my brother James. And that, and, and that was like, Coach Knight said, that's done. So his very first thing, when Coach Knight said Brown in Miami, he he met me at the hospital, and we spent time with Jack. Wow. And then after that, he came to our house, 
and um, we had our conversation, and I was asking those nine questions, and we were going back and forth. Now, let's fast forward two years from that, that point. I think we're like, I'm like a sophomore. It might be junior, junior year. And we're going through the ups and downs during the Big Ten and win, win one, win two, lose two, whatever. And we're going through those. And then, and then all of a sudden, uh, we're having a practice. And, you know, who knows if we were in our feelings or not, whatever. And Coach Knight comes in the locker room and says, you guys need to be more like Charlie's brother, James. And Coach Knight just started reeling off attributes of compassion and fire and passion and, 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 and just all these positive things. And I was like, first of all, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, where did this come from? Because this was, again, two-plus years in to my journey at Indiana as a basketball player. Wow. And this was his way of giving us a life lesson. Like, we need to be more like James. And I'll share with you, that hit me like a ton of bricks, and I just started crying. Mm-hmm. I'm like, one, you're using my brother as an example. Two, I'm touched. Because mm-hmm. what you're talking about is what I lived and what I still live today. You got it. So, 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 so you know, so, like, for everything that can go, that, that did happen, did not happen in my playing career, those are the moments that I cherish that I still live off of that I know was impactful, that I know created um, camaraderie and, and, and compassion and, and still the connection that we have today as far as former players to coaches and, and beyond. I have a question about Coach Knight when you were at the hospital there visiting mm-hmm. James together. Yep. He's so well known for his temper, his tirades, uh, even his sense <clears throat> of humor He's much less well-known for taking secret, unpublicized trips to the hospitals in Indianapolis to visit the sick. What was he like? What was his manner as he visited with your brother? That's a side of Coach most of us have never seen. Coach Knight is a gentle giant. And just like anything else, when you look at somebody professionally speaking, you look at more of what they've done and you can't get beyond the persona of what's been built. It, it never came from Coach Knight. It's just, again, media and, and the myth, the mythical ways of this legend, right? Mm-hmm. But when you get Coach Knight by himself, um, again, so many things were done behind the scenes. His care for people, his connections, um, and that's who he was to us and what I've always known for. In that hospital, I saw a person who cared, mm. who was there observing, and I think he got a good sense of awareness of who he was recruiting. I think he got a good sense of awareness of what he was going to get out of me because of the care I showed towards my brother. Wow. And um, so, so, so it's pretty interesting you ask that question, but that's, that's Coach Knight. Now, for everything that we see on TV that's always played, look, again, we know that stuff sells. You know, that stuff sells. Right. It, it puts butts in seats, and it gets ratings up. For every, 
everything that we that's been captured to his temper and to his whatever, there's 25 things he did that we won't celebrate because that's like, oh, that's expected. No, that's really not expected. But that's who he was to us. You know, that's why there's never... Yes, sir. Sorry, I was just sorry to jump in. I just wanted to ask, what made you... Was asking coaches to meet with James first something you did for all of the coaches, or was there something specific about Coach Knight that you wanted to ask him to do that? Well, man... So you had uh, Rick Pitino, you had Roy Williams, you had uh, yeah Pat Kennedy. Pat Kennedy was at Florida State at the time. Sure. Um, uh, well, a couple other co- well, one or two other coaches that came to my house. It, it, to me, it was more of a mystique, right? Because because when I was when I found out Coach Knight was recruiting me. Um, I was, I've been in contact with all those other coaches. I've talked to them on the phone. Um, you know, there's a, there was a relationship built, uh, with like the coaches like Billy Donovan, you know, funny, you know, 20 plus years in, these guys are now head coaches, right? Yeah. I know all these assistant coaches now head coaches, you know, we knew each other by first name, or at least they just, they just graduated from college playing basketball pro. And they were now coaching. So uh, it was just something about Coach Knight. And I said, hey, if you want to come recruit me, you got to come meet James first. You got, you have to go see him. He wants to meet you. And that was the first thing that we did. It's an, uh, amazing, it's an amazingly ballsy thing for an 18-year-old kid to do to a guy like Coach Knight. Were you, were you – I mean, again, you said when you go through life, Growing up mm-hmm. with James, who has obviously dealt with more challenges than the the rest of us combined, then mm-hmm. you have a different perspective. But were you yep. intimidated at all by Coach Knight or the thought of of Coach Knight recruiting you? What was your impression of him before you got to meet him? I was not intimidated, um, and and you said the word baldy. I would just say I was bold, <laughs> and and I again and and really I didn't care. And I didn't care because he says no. Okay, cool. Don't <laughs> right. And I don't know if that affects you know. Does that affect my uh, status of coming? I don't know. But I, you know, it's put the question out there, and I think that's part of the whole process of learning to become bold. And uh, you know, the worst thing he can say is no. Right, and I didn't look at it that way. Again, I was more unaware. You know, hey, my brother's a big fan. His situation. Uh, you want to come recruit him? You got to go see him first. He so has the questions for you. So you you had the likes of Roy Williams and Rick Pitino and everybody else you mentioned coming through your home, along yeah. with the visit with James. What was it about Coach Knight and IU that finally clicked for you? And you said, you know what, this. This is where I'm going. Do you remember that decision? I do. I do. So, one, when he came to my house, and he uh, actually met with James, and then he went home uh, to my house, and he asked, asked questions. Um, I was fairly young coming out of high school, too. Uh, I turned 18 during my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I was asking questions about playing time and these things that, um, you know, I was receiving in questionnaires as far as questions to ask <laughs> uh, to coaches. And 
And um, what, what really got me was, you know, he was telling me, you're going to play right away. Here's the things I see in you. And um, it, wasn't, it wasn't a comparison thing to Calvin Chain or like that, but I can really imagine, you know, here's another left-handed player. The Cal was about to graduate. You know, like, you got somebody similar in skill set. Um, a six-seven so, lefty with a real smooth yeah, shot. Exactly. Right. So go figure. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and and so so you know I think that's probably what they saw in their depth chart and things they were thinking about. And um, then it was when I went to Bloomington on my visit. It was actually a week after Midnight Madness. I could not make it the week prior. I came the week after, and it was during one of the uh, he his coaching clinics where uh, you can practice as many you know up to many hours into practice and it was like two days. It was I think also like a fall break because it was no one on campus, hmm. but only the basketball players. And um, I got a chance to explore Bloomington bare bones. So uh, not only Assembly Hall, not only um, the mall, <laughs> but um, <laughs> College Mall, right? Because called College Mall. That's yep. right. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, spending time with the players, and I was like, you know, I, you know what? I like this. Like, I hit it off with everybody. You know, first impression was great. Was was big to me. And um, I was like, man, you know what? That's my decision. I, I mean, I, and again, at University of Michigan, I, Michigan State, you had uh, every school that you can name. Uh, you know, that there were choices, but it was like, you know what, this is where I want to go to school. You know, this did, is going to be it. Did they connect you when you went on your visit? Was there one player or two from the current team that kind of was your partner for that visit? Well, the, the main person who was my partner for that was a basketball manager. His name was Rashawn Rhodes. And um, Rashawn was the main guy. And, uh, and and then it was also Rob Foster. Oh, sure. We, we know Rob, Rob ended up leaving uh, yeah. prior to my freshman year. But it was Rob. Um, and it wasn't a sales job. You know, those guys told me the truth. They told me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, you know, they gave me, they painted a picture where I had to make a decision. And um, just like anything else. And it was really, I hit it off with everybody. It was seemingly a good visit, you know, where I saw camaraderie, I saw unity, I saw a tough-ass practice. <laughs> um, right, I was like, okay, man, you know, hey, boy, you, and I was like, are you sure you want to get yourself into this, man? You know, um, so, again, being bold and daring, I said, man, let's, let's go for it, you know, and, and um, <clears throat> so that was pretty much my recruiting visit. It seems like you know, such an advantage to Indiana University, both the beauty of the campus and the beauty of the co-eds, but the, the co-eds weren't even there. It really tells you how great you, you must have felt about the team and being a part of a, a Coach Knight system that you didn't even have to see all the students there to realize it's the greatest place on earth. And, and Ward, he's coming from South Florida. I, mean, I know, that's we, true. We, come on. <laughs> I was coming from well, through Indiana, so I couldn't believe let, how many cute ladies there were. <laughs> let, let's, let's talk about two things you just mentioned, right? So, one, there was no co-eds, right? There was nobody on campus. It's bare bones. Believe me, they shared with me, right? <laughs> they shared <laughs> what Kevin's life is like, right? <laughs> so that was me in faith. 
in the least. Yes. Why would yeah. those guys lie about what it's like, right? So yeah. I, like, that's not, I, don't, I don't have to see things to believe it. I, I don't have to see it. In many ways, right? it's better to just tell it to you because you can fill it in in your imagination how good it you, is. You can, you can, you if, if that's what you if that's what's your boat, well, your boat, that's fine, right? <laughs> um, so, so, so that was that, and then um, the the second part was when you know when I was able to watch games on TV and I saw how many fans gravitated towards the play. And with passion and tradition, because again, I didn't grow up with that. And again, growing up in Miami, Florida, I knew that traditional football. And being very, very privileged, living all Rockwell away, five minutes away from the University of Miami, so I saw high caliber uh, sports being played in my neighborhood to a tune where the neighborhood was so close that a lot of the players would interact in my neighborhood a lot. Quite often, the Michael Irvings, the, you know, I can keep throwing names out. We know that name, but, you know, that I literally was in my neighborhood. So to grow up around that, there was a high expectation of if you were going to play sport, like, you can be a champion like those guys. Like, look at what they did. They come from similar backgrounds like you. Um, mm-hmm. And at a time, University of Miami, they only, I think they barely had 5,000 students. People, I don't know if, if people realize this, but University of Miami is a private school. And this is when they had less than 5,000 students. And they did such a great job that no one left the state. No one left Miami to play football. So, and they were independent. There were no Big Tens. There was no SEC. They were independent. So my idea was like, I could do the same thing those guys did on basketball. So me going to somewhere like Indiana was my thought process. So you you decide to go to Indiana and you go in with a hell of a freshman class, uh, one of the most hyped classes in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. How did you, you know, when you got to campus and and you met fellow freshmen Neil Reed, Andre Patterson, those guys? Um, is there like an immediate bond, like, hey, were these non-Indiana kids showing up in the middle of this crazy basketball crazed state? It, was that something that clicked right away, or or was it more just you were all kind of slowly integrating yourselves into this crazy world you joined? Um, so interesting story about Neil. I had a chance to hang out with Neil. It was only a week, but we spent time together in Ypsilanti, Michigan, at the ABCD Adidas camp. Okay, and that was our junior going on our senior year. And the reason why I connected with Neil was my roommate. Uh, my roommate was really close with Neil, and the way okay. they actually formatted that camp was they had uh, with like Team Florida, Team Louisiana, Team New York. You had like the whole state of Florida came together and represented at that camp. They kind of changed up the format, so instead of just kind of being a a traditional exposure camp where you just put on a random team and you play, you actually played by state. So I okay. I was rooming with uh, someone from Team Louisiana, and Neil Reed would always come to our room. Lo and behold, he's a McKinney in my mm-hmm. And I had a chance to meet Neil and hang out with Neil uh, the summer prior. And then uh, Andre, I just heard of. I heard a lot of great things about him. And, you know, we obviously connected our 
I think that was like uh, uh, summer, uh, summer of our freshman year. I think there were a couple of events in Indiana we did, like barnstorming, going oh, yeah. to different places, playing. I saw you guys uh, play up in Fort Wayne at <clears throat> the college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top Fury was announcing. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. So and you, uh, and you had Pat Graham. Actually, we played AAU ball together. Um, it was uh, Pat Graham and Todd Lear was our coaches. And we went to Jacksonville and played basketball. So you get the ball stomach for uh, all of Fort Wayne, Elkhart, all those little areas. I got very familiar with um, playing ball traveling. So uh, we got a chance to kind of connect then. And then we came out in the fall, we all moved together. We all stayed in Reed Dormitory. Um, nice. And in one of those little suites where we, we kind of just, like, created, like, one room. We took all the bunk beds, right, two bunk beds, put it in one side, and we had, like, a little living room, watch TV area on the other side, whatever. That's that's where you did all your studying, right? <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> So, Charlie, give us a sense. We, we love getting the players that we get to talk to to tell us about their teammates because it, it really shines a nice light on the personality of these guys that we all grew up, you know, rooting for and cheering and loving. Andre mm-hmm. Patterson was a guy that I was so excited about to come to Indiana. He was big. He was strong. He was athletic. I, I, I had not seen a player like that at Indiana. What was mm-hmm. Andre like off? the court Andre was very artistic he he loved to sing he was singing mm. all day huh <laughs> Andre was singing all day <laughs> he just break down the song um and just amazing I mean like you know it had, it had a voice of uh like an R&B type voice you know mm. sing and I think it all started like singing in church choir um so that was Andre, you know, you know, he's a fun-loving guy, you know, jokester. You know, we laughed. I mean, I don't know. I think we woke up laughing, go to sleep laughing. <laughs> you know, just laughter, just laughter, just, you know, a fun, and, jovial guy. And because he became such a uh, lightning rod of attention that, that, truthfully, I don't think he ever wanted either. Um, tell us a little bit about Neil Reed. Neil... Neil, again, uh, jokester, prankster, fun, exciting, uh, fiery. Uh, I mean, just everything that you can think of as a player. And the, the, to me, one of the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, and was open. Neil was open. Um, you know, he, 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 he grew up with the mystique of Indiana basketball with his father. You know, he grew up a little, I forget the small town in Indiana, not too far from Bloomington, he kind of lived there for a little bit. But uh, Neil, to me, out of all of us, knew more about that tradition and what it meant to put on that uniform. And I say that with respect. Um, but but Neil, Neil was a fighter. I mean, wow, competitive, driven, um, and expect a lot of himself. And well, I'll give you another inside story with Neil. Um, our freshman year, I think it was, yeah, our freshman year, we were taking an anthropology class. And um, this character came about, and his last name was Reed. His character was named Little Rock Reed. It was, it was his character. This guy, this professor, when I was talking about, 
and, and just like anything else, because Neil's last name was Reed, we started calling him Little Rock. And Little Rock <laughs> turned to Little Rocky, right? The little colloquialism where you say little. Yep. Well, uh-huh. guess what he did? He went and got a tattoo, and the tattoo was Little Rock Reed. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, and it was one of those tattoos where he always wore uh, an undershirt. You never knew it. But he had a tattoo. Yeah, the coach Rock never Reed. knew it, right? Coach never yeah. knew it. That was the right. important yeah. part. Right. Yeah. Lil, Lil Rock Reed, Lil Rock Reed was what uh, his nickname. So, I, so for me, and that was like my claim to fame. Like, I, everywhere I go, I say, I named people nicknames and stuff. And, like, we never called, I never called him Neil from that point forward. Lil Rock. So, so Lil Rock. What's Lil Rock? Lil Rock. I never called him Neil. <laughs> On the opposite end of the experience spectrum, You've got um, a couple of Indiana's Indiana can be seniors. The incredible Alan Henderson and mm-hmm. Coach Knight's own son, Pat, who were the, the mm-hmm. captains of the team your freshman year. What did they do to impart to you guys what it meant to play for Indiana University? Um, I got a chance to, to actually stay with Alan. I believe it was my freshman year, so I got a chance to hang out with him. But prior to that, just tell us what it meant to put that uniform on, the pride, the, the dignity that came with that, the passion, to always play hard and smart. Um, you know, make sure that when you're out in Bloomington or in the whereabouts, you represent uh, that uniform and you represent the school uh, in integrity. And that was something that we always received from Allen, and I would say Pat, you know, um, so those guys meant a lot at passing on that tradition of what it meant to put the uniform on and also how to represent Indiana University well. Now, and did Pat, did Pat help you guys understand how to navigate the minefield that was his father? Is that something he could give you extra good insight on? In Pat's way, he did. Mm. In his way. In, he, in his way, he, he did. I mean, just, just like any other person – to me, I, you know, it's not okay. I right, step one, okay, this expect this step two. Right? No, you know, here is what you're going to get yourself into, right? Mm-hmm. And it was also pretty cool for me to see them go back and forth, coach night and Pat at practice. I was like, man, they're crazy. <laughs> like he's talking back to his dad, and his dad's talking back to him. But I could tell again for me, in tight family wise, that's how they are all the time. But that that's that really should work. That was not a disrespectful thing. Mm-hmm. So that was not. That, mm-hmm. I'm no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I please. No, I'm listening. No, I, I, my, my thought's finished. Okay. Um, I brought it up in the intro. Uh, Ward mentioned it. I do want to ask you. You were six foot seven. You're a lefty. The, the physical similarities to Calvert Cheney are just. Uncanny. And and Calvert Cheney is one of those rare athletes that that really, you know, transcends just being a good player at a school. Calvert Mm -hmm. became a legend at Indiana without winning a national championship, which I think even speaks even more to to how good and how loved Calvert was. When you came into Indiana, I, I, I remember when I saw you for the first time, I remember talking to either a friend or I don't think it was my dad, but I felt like bad for you. 
almost immediately because I thought that people were going to expect you to be Calvert Cheney. Did you did you ever feel that? Did you did you have any connection to the leg, the legacy of Calvert that kind of fans thrust upon you? Uh, interesting question. No, I didn't. And Good. that makes me happy. <laughs> well, well, I, I tell you this though. But, but it's two sides to that, right? I was unaware. Hmm. Because now, again, at 43, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It was an expectation put on me. Yes. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They didn't care for Charlie. I, I, mean, I say this, eh, whatever. They didn't care for Charlie Miller, per se. They wanted to see the second version of Calvert, according mm-hmm. to what you're saying. So I think I think for put, some of the fan base, I think for yeah, some of the fan exactly base, some. unfairly, it, it was true. Yeah, it, 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 was, it, it is what it is. It is what, what it is, right? And it's okay, right? And it's okay. And for me, it's okay, right? So if you, you I mean, you, if you have an uncanny resemblance, right? Okay, wow, left-handed, six-seven, athletic, blah blah blah. Man, you know, he's the second coming. We're gonna just kind of keep this thing going. Um, but and then you had some people who. Just allow me to be me, which again I was again I was oblivious to that. If there was a comparison at 18, 19, 21, I wasn't caught up into that. Mm-hmm. Great. That is good to hear. I wasn't. Because I think yeah. that would have been yeah. crippling. If you were caught up in it, I think that would have been a crippling experience instead yeah, of Yeah, I, I never you know. yeah, I never I never was caught up into that, to be honest with you. I never was. I mean, you know, even like if, if someone like, would ever mention that um I got a chance to meet Calvert a couple of times prior, um, and I think it also was pretty good. I didn't grow up in the Indiana area, so I didn't get a chance to say, oh, my God, they compare me to this guy. I got to come in some shoes. It, I didn't feel that kind of pressure at all. Great. So l- let me let me ask you uh, about one more player here before we really start getting into the season, because he's one of our all-time favorites on and off the court. Uh, what was it like having a junior Brian Evans running around on that team? Brian, I learned a lot from uh, left-handed. I learned how to work watching Brian. Mm-hmm. Brian was relentless. You know, I mean, just, you know, we, we played a, a motion-style offense where it really wasn't any plays. It was more so you got to learn how to play. Brian, Brian was, like, just relentless. You know, how he moved on the court, how he, he was always balanced when he shot the ball. He did all the small things right. Um, off the court, Brian was as cool as they come. You know, a very uh, commanding person, very accommodating person. Uh, again, helpful. You know, and just always for me, at least for me, um, I always felt like I was I could be myself around Brian. And, you know, you just let your head down, so to speak, and just be who you are. And, uh, and we know this, too. You know that kind of person today. Uh-huh. Brian can party. Come on. Brian can party. You know what? If he if he did, and I'll share this with you, you know better than I do. Ryan, <laughs> if he did, he kept that away from me. All right. Oh, well, I mean, I I would party. Everyone would, <laughs> but you know, I think it's certain. It's it's just certain things you don't show certain people. And if he could party, I don't know if the crowd of Charlie Miller in the likes of prior freshman class was what you show. We right. had our times or two. As a as a small group, 
But as far as like going to fraternity row and other things, I didn't see that. Well, and to be fair, we only know that uh, empirically from like the last year. We 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 were we were back in the day doing that with that. He may have really stepped up his party game since. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, so Charlie, let's now get into your playing career, which uh, before we get into kind of some specifics, you know, we do some research before we do one of these uh, conversations. And I looked mm-hmm. at pretty much every game that you played at Indiana. And I have to tell you, of all the players that we have talked to, I have never looked at a player who just from looking at box scores and minutes played had a more tumultuous time in his four years at Indiana. I, mm-hmm. I cannot imagine how challenging your career was because there were stretches where you played very sparingly. There were yep. stretches and we'll get into it where you were playing 40 and sometimes more in overtime minutes a game regularly. And exactly. Then, exactly. And then it would be backed up with, like, playing 12 minutes. Right, right, right. I just, before we get into the specifics, I'm just curious, like, overall, um, how did you mentally prepare going into your freshman year, and what did you think your role was going to be? Well, my freshman year, again, you it's easy to say at 43, here's how it prepared. I wasn't preparing, man. Come on. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? Preparing. You right. just show up. You know, goal setting. Right? Okay, yeah, let me write this down. Me, okay, sounds great. But let's talk about what really happened, right? Um, that was one of the questions I asked Coach Knight. Hey, I'm going to be 18 as a freshman, and I'm – I could qualify for redshirting. Did you redshirt me? He said, no. Hell no, matter of fact. He said, hell no. You're going to play right away. And I did. <laughs> yes, you my did. My freshman year, if you're going off of stats, I averaged double-digit minutes my freshman year. Oh, and, and Charlie, you, your very first game, by the way, in Maui uh, against Utah, you played 20 minutes. You followed it up with 27 minutes. Those are your first two okay. games in Indiana. So, so let's go here. You want to go to those first two games, okay? So the first game in Maui, first of all, we have those athletes in action games, right? You play against Croatia, play against athlete action, barely played. I remember, I remember, like, I remember the first game, I was nervous as I don't know what, and just was fun to be on the court, right? I think it was against athletes in action. Second game was, like, against a Croatia team, something like that, right? No, no, no disrespect to the country. Then it was first game Maui, Utah, with Majerus, because with Majerus, um, Keith Van Horn and, and other players, and remember they had a JUCO player who, who just came, like with player of the year in JUCO, was a, a point guard. So, you know, we're all excited being in Maui. Um, and my expectation of that first game was, you know, hey, look, whatever happens as far as play time, I don't care. I'm in, I'm playing my orientation. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> so life is good. So, so, so the game, exactly, game starts. We're going back and forth. Game player, we got all those. Um, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, Steve Hart plays, uh, uh, Neil plays, uh, Michael Herman plays, and all of a sudden I get a, I get my time to play. Um, I score my first two points, uh, my first shot. I never forget it. It was a left hand drive, got cut off by a player. I made a spin move jump shot. Boom! In my head, oh my God, 
I'm on ESPN. I just knocked out my first college two points. It's over. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Wow. So I'm all excited. And then that led to me having a really good first half. I had yeah. a really good first half where Coach Knight took me. So you guys know the inside of this. I, I And where he put me in at a three or two, whatever, I ended up playing point guard that game. Wow. It literally went from, it went from, okay, get out here and play, spare some minutes with some players. Okay, he's playing pretty good. And then here's halftime, right? And then, you know, I remember Neil and Andre said, man, Charlie, man, what are you playing? Wow. Are you playing great? I'm like, you know, kind of like a little, you know, little, little, um, what do you call it? Kind of blushing smirk on your face. Right. Hey, hey, I'm playing pretty good, right? Yeah, you don't want to admit it. Coach, you don't want to like say yeah, it. Coach, you don't want to be surprised by it because you, yeah, you know exactly. you're going to play good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then what happens is Coach Knight had a way where um, at halftime he would go into matchups. He was going to start the uh, second half, and he would put down on the board. So the coaches will talk, and he'll okay, he came back. So I'm not thinking anything of it. You know, I just had a pretty good first half. Well, I start. I finished off the first half. Um. And he and then he started naming names, you know. You got to guard so and so, Van Horn, blah blah. Miller, Charlie, you're gonna guard so and so. I said, oh, you know, I don't want to curse, but I'm like, <laughs> like OS, right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, all right. So then, then Neil and Andre, and I'm like, man, my God, like both. I'm like, okay, so we have going out there, and we end up having a really good game. I'll tell you guys, I'll tell you guys, and it is what it is. We were winning that game. I still remember that play. I got a steal. I passed the ball up to Allen Henderson. Allen missed a dunk. <laughs> From that missed dunk, the game changed. Um. I always think about if Allen makes that dunk, what is my career? And what is it like the next four years? Because we were on our way of winning that freaking game. Wow. That is uh, that is a hell of a thought to have, that just that one play can affect the entire trajectory of everything. Well, let me go back to what I said to you. And it's kind of like spinning, because if you remember what I said back, back when on this conversation, if my high school coach does not come to that game on a Friday night, an right. eighth-grade game, I'm not on the phone with you guys. Right. Now, they didn't, they didn't plug me. I don't say, oh, my God, what if, what if, what if it doesn't. But you got to understand, basketball, like life, is moments. Mm-hmm. It's moments. He, Alan, Alan makes that dunk. You have no idea where the synergy goes. Wow. Right? But, you, but, 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 but we're winning that game. He missed the dunk, so what? It's a part of the play. Okay? But, but for me, I'm like, okay, we were – we were playing pretty good. And, again, yeah. I went from playing the forward to the point guard position. And I've never really played point guard. But I'm out here backing people down like a Magic Johnson and bringing them <laughs> off the court. I'm out here playing. Right? And, and I'm like, okay. And then the second game was against Tulane. You bring up the second game. It was against Tulane. And that was my introduction to college basketball because um, I ended up playing a lot. I ended up starting that game. And it went from, again, like you just mentioned, I went from, okay, I have no idea how many minutes I'm going to play my first game to, okay, Charlie is in the starting lineup. 
the second game of the season. Now, let's also look at that, fellas. What that meant to me was I don't know if the coaches had felt comfortable with the players that were in those positions. Because, so, again, I was playing one and two, which was okay because, for me, I always called myself a player. Right. Mm. Not necessarily I, – I can, I can always score the ball, but I was a player. I, mean, I, I, didn't, I never pigeonholed myself. I, if you need me to play Brad Miller at Purdue, I'll do it. You need to play uh, Lewis Bullock at Michigan, I'll do it. I was a player. You know, so that to me was always what I had in my mindset. And that was my introduction to college basketball because those boys kicked my butt at, at, at Tulane. <laughs> <laughs> they, they attacked me because I don't know if it was, you know, you know, he's a, you know, he's a freshman, blah, blah, blah. You know, I know one of those guys too, Gerald uh, Honeycutt. Um, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, but, you know, he ended up having a long career. Uh, in the NBA, played overseas for a, a long time as well. But, like, that was my introduction to college basketball because those boys were running and gunning. Well, it yeah. was a, a pretty rough stretch to start the whole season there. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're, you guys drop out of the rankings after being at, you know, 11th to start. Yeah. And yeah. You're, you're two and three when you got to go down to Freedom Hall and play number seven. Ugh. Excuse me. Number seven, Kentucky. What did you know about that rivalry going into it, and what did you learn by first playing in it and and ultimately losing in that game? Um, You know, watching basketball on TV, you always knew that any arena, the RCA Dome, Freedom Hall, wherever that game was being played, it was going to be half red, half blue around mm-hmm. that arena, right? Mm-hmm. You knew that. And the games were always fiery. You knew that. And this is when Rick Pitino was at his best at playing you, uh, you know, 94 feet. I mean, 55, pick you up, full court, man-to-man, throwing different uh, zones, uh, presses at you, man presses. And they were long, rangy, athletic, can fill it up from the three, can attack you at the basket. They brought it. They, they gave you a good sense of awareness, i tell you that. Mm. They brought a good sense of awareness of, of, of how to play high-level basketball. Well, you played them tight in that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a tight game. You lose by three, but it does take the record to two and four. And then right. – things start to get rolling a little bit. You get a couple wins under your belt against some, some lesser competition, but then mm-hmm. you're met with having to play an even better team by, by the rankings at this point, and also a team that just, let's just be honest, they have owned Indiana for a long time in Kansas. I mean, Especially even with, in those years before you yeah, got yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was mm-hmm. – Look, I, from a childhood perspective, I hated Kansas so much because I saw them beat Indiana in my hometown, St. Louis, in person to knock us out of right. the tournament a couple years before. So right. they just owned us, it seemed. And you guys play them in Assembly Hall. They're ranked number three yep. in the country. Yep. And yep. you absolutely smoke them. Hey, man. I remember not even hearing myself think in that game. <laughs> really? <laughs> Wow. I mean, I never heard a loud environment as loud as that game. As I'm like literally on the floor right now, just exciting, like goosebumps. 
playing, we were playing our butt off, Brian, Brian had a heck of a game. Uh, that was a really good game. And, again, we beat them as if, you know, as if we ought to, right? And, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and we beat them decidedly well because I mean, then they had a great team. Yeah. You know, um, Jared Hoss, you had Ultra Tag, you had Darren Hancock, you had uh, Jock Vaughn. You had a heck of a team, and we played them, and, and we had a we had our way with them. I mean, we played really good. You did. And what's really interesting to me is what you just said about how you were just a player. Because, again, mm-hmm. going through your stats and the box scores, there were some games where you played a ton and you scored a bunch. There were yep. other games where you didn't play a ton, but almost every not I won't say every game, but the vast majority of the games, you impacted the game in some way. And even in that Kansas game, where you only played seven minutes in that game, you pulled down six rebounds in seven minutes. Right. It's right. like you again, you impacted the game. And I love you saying how you were just a player. You know, you're just a ball player. And that is evidenced through then going into the Big Ten season. The first Big Ten game is at Iowa. And yep. you, do, you guys get blown out, but you actually have a pretty good game. You score 11 points, you okay. get five rebounds. So, 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 let's, so let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So here. So, so now, that's why I never compared myself because I was always a player. I, was, I, I wouldn't say I was a utility player, but that for me was like about any necessary. That's a plus and a minus because that goes to my personality. It was always what I was always hearing when I was looking to go to the professional rankings. He's not selfish enough. Literally, that's what I will always hear. He's not selfish enough, so we don't know if we can trust that. Mm. And I was like, wow, you know, you want somebody to be a ball hog? You want somebody to be out here? Uh, you know, why can't you see the dog in, you know what, here's six boards in seven minutes. That six, the six boards that I got was a difference in that game, right? right. Now, I'm not advocating for that, but but it's interesting that, you know, he doesn't – because the focus was on scoring the ball. Can you score? Can you score? It's never been a problem. You know, yeah. can you contribute in a way that can affect this game for wins and losses? That's why I said I was always a player. Whatever role you need to put me in, I'm going to do my best at it. I don't have to play that position. I'm not going to bitch and moan. You know what? I don't never play point guard coach night. Put me in a position. Again, <laughs> you make me play a seven-footer, I'm going to play my ass off I'm gonna make it tough for him to freaking score. Mm, you mm. can score the ball today. Let me shoot this ball. Let me shoot this ball in the hole. But I Love understand the inconsistencies from what you're talking about. Where it's like up and down. Well, you're only as good as the minutes you play. And I, I, I was not in Coach Knight's mind, and Coach's mind as to why I played all these minutes, and then somebody I don't know why. <laughs> Like, I kind of have an idea now we can talk about later, but I just wanted to give you that insight. Leading up to that very first Big Ten game, I was excited as hell. Here's why. I scored 11 points and everybody else stunk. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the first Big Ten game. We lose by 20, but I scored 11. I'm the high point. I'm like, yes, secretly. Because I don't want to know. You know. Everybody's mad, pissed off. I'm like, why am I mad? <laughs> I was the high. Right? I was the high point there. You were. So I'm, I'm not. What am I mad about? Right? And that's just the honesty. If you want to talk about transparency, honesty, 
I don't know about any other players, and I'm not going to turn the phone and say, oh, my God, I was so pissed off. No, I wasn't. I scored 11 points. I scored. That was like my – it was my freshman year. All the things that you wanted to go to a school like that for anyway, playing on national TV, yeah, you lost, but you had your personal stats that day. Mm. I'm not too pissed off, bro. I'm not too pissed off. I'm not. <laughs> I like it. I may act like it. Oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, that sucked. And my, yeah, that sucked outwardly, but inwardly. Yes. Now, there was no cell phones, no social media. Look at my stat line. Right? It was probably a beeper I had to go to. <laughs> but, but, no, I hear but, you. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I hear you. <laughs> well, you, you had uh, – that then led to a series of games where you do get to start playing a lot. You're playing 27 mm-hmm. minutes against your first um, – the, the first game, I think, against Purdue at Purdue, you scored right. 10 points, yep. five rebounds. Yep. Um, yep. Let's I talk about that, about yeah, Purdue. Yeah, because I read this. What, what I love about you so far, Charlie, and I, I, I heard another interview with you where I knew this is what you were – you are as authentic and honest as a human being can be, and I love that. Most people that we talk to will talk about how much they you know, the Purdue rivalry meant to them and the Kentucky rivalry mm-hmm. meant to them. I read something where that was not necessarily the case for you. Never, never have been. Um, I didn't grow up in the area, fellas. Right. <laughs> so, so what? I mean, again, if I'm, you know, uh, 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 I mean, just bringing up a name. If I'm a great Graham, that means probably a whole other level. Grew up in the Indianapolis area, and you got a chance to watch these teams play. That means a lot for me. It didn't mean anything because I didn't know. Let me, let me tell you, my, my introductory to the Purdue rivalry was actually at Purdue my freshman year. And, again, yes, I scored 10 points. Again, I still remember that. Mm-hmm. But I saw Conzo Martin shoot 20-plus free throws. <laughs> he, shot, he shot at least 18. I don't know. You got the stats. You got, he shot. 20-plus free throws. I don't – I mean, it was some home cooking. It is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I get it. That game was dominated by you couldn't breathe on him. And as prolific <laughs> as he was as a score, and as aggressive as he was, you couldn't do anything, right? But I yeah. remember that game. I'm not going to call that player's name. But, but, but so you, you lose to them at Mackey, and then you have a couple of games between, and then they come to assembly – where you guys get them. So after these well, now, first couple but, go ahead. I want to go here first. Let, let's set this up. My introductory to the rivalry came that game. I'm not gonna say the player's name. Oh but okay. I remember I remember during one of Conzo Martin's twenty plus free throws, <laughs> um <laughs> a player walked by me and I said, I, I effing hate IU. And he shot me one and hit me mm-hmm. in the gut. And I said, okay. I got that. Ooh, okay. So I see what this is about. I'll get you back. You got to tell us the player. What do you mean you're not going to name nah, the player? No, nah, we're not going to go there. 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 <laughs> no deal. No big deal. First of all, he's not a, he's not a Facebook friend of mine. Uh, he's not. I, 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 think, I probably think the world of the guy. I just never knew the guy. But he shot me one. But, you know, in my head, okay, cool, I got you. I like that. I'm going to get you back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you back. And a couple of day, couple of games later, I scored 21 my freshman year. 
CBS game Sunday afternoon, right? I have a really good game. You know, um, Denver Hall is rocking. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I had that in mind. I, I remember scoring the first two points with a tip dunk. I had that in mind. Trust me, that was in my mind. I've never yeah. been a vindictive person in my life. I just keep in my head. Say, I'm going to get you. I'm going to be competitive. You know not gonna, I'm not going to bark at you. Not gonna do, I'm going to just get you back in the way I need to get you back. Charlie, do you know how many minutes you played in that game, that Purdue game? I don't remember. I don't. You tell me. You played 38 minutes. You scored 21 points, four rebounds, two assists on nine of 11 shooting from the field. Yeah. Uh, and you are now in the – you are now – in a stretch of games, Minnesota before that, Purdue, yep. at Ohio State, you are yep. playing 33, 38, 36 yep. minutes. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I remember, let me go, go, go back to one time. I remember, like, winning, pulling out the Ohio State game late. And, again, just like the – like you talked about, oh, the players, I and mean, Allen put his arms around me because I'm now, like, in the starting five. Right. This, this whole stretch you're talking about, like, like – I'm on the red team. We had red and white team practice. I'm on the red team. Like, this is kind of like normal. But, again, for me, nothing against the fellas. I never really had a big ego. It was something I didn't ever expected. I'm a player. Coach sees me in this role. Let me do what I have to do to help the team become as successful as we can. So keep going. So you, you are. Like you said, the truth is there become three kind of primary players in this stretch. It's Allen, it's Brian, mm-hmm. and it's you playing exactly. a team number of minutes. And yep. the season, you know, the season goes as the season goes. I think not not nearly as uh, successful mm-hmm. as everybody obviously wanted it to be. Though after um, that Purdue win at home, you guys do finish the conference quite strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the season ends, uh, the regular season ends, and now you get your first experience of March Madness. This is mm-hmm. This is before the uh, Big Ten tournament has been instituted. So it's right from the regular season into March Madness, the NCAA tournament. You get to play in your first game. You have had this run where you're playing a ton of minutes. You insert yourself in the starting lineup. And then against Missouri in the first round, which ends up being a loss, the minutes go way down. What, what happened? What do you remember about that? I don't. I don't remember. Um, I, I don't. I, and, and it's interesting because let's be. Let, I'm gonna be very. I'll be. I'll be frank. I'm not gonna mention a, a Purdue uh, player's name, but but let's talk about this. This is where I feel Coach Knight felt he could put me in, and I'll play the same. It wouldn't matter. Because I didn't cry about minutes. I, I wasn't one of those players that showed outwardly like it really mattered that I started. It mattered what I looked like. See, I always took those times where I was slated to play or we had a, a game plan and last minute the game plan changed. I think he felt he could take advantage of that because I wouldn't bitch about it. I wouldn't moan about it. Mm-hmm. But inwardly, it would hurt because I'm like, we just had a game plan. And all of a sudden, you changed it. And then right. I would think, you know, hey, Charlie, stay up because, you know, we, we just got this thought in mind and be ready to go. I'm like, I'm not ready to go. I was going to say, F this. I'm sorry about that. But, like, <laughs> what just happened? Right. Right? Really? What? What? Huh? Okay, cool. All good. Don't worry about it. It's all good. You know, and we played this Missouri. 
And uh, a guy ended up beating us in that game um, that we didn't expect to beat us. Because we game plan for other players. There was one guy who ended up beating us. And like, where did this guy came from? Right? And, and, and their main class was the name player. I forget his name at this time. But he, he, he had a game like he always played to play. But that was our first, you know, taste in that. Missouri ends up moving to UCLA, right, in that yeah. highest end uh, the game-winning shot. They ended up winning the, the whole thing that year. The, the guy who went off in that game against you guys was a guard named Olini. I don't even remember him. Okay, so what was their main player name? Do you still have the stats card? Yeah, name? well, they had the twins, the big twins, the Haley No, yeah, the twins, the twins didn't hurt. The twins, I mean, again, you know, oh, they, they had played how they played with him. Oh, uh, Sutherland. Is the big player. Sutherland. He played how he normally played. We that's expected. But O'Reilly, he he had the game his freaking life. Yeah. It was one of those things where you game plan starting point wise and, and someone else steps up. He just happened to step up that game. Respectfully yeah, yeah. speaking. Totally true. He had three field goals or three three pointers in that game. Uh, he stepped up. And again, the game plan was not about him. Right, mm-hmm. I mean, or in a sense, was be mindful. It's just like anything else. Like if you go to a scout, a scout, and I'm not trying to get off the point, but you know, it's like okay, hey, we know LeBron's going to get here. We just can't let two other players, you know, go off. But yeah, it, it means like the third player who ends up hurting you, you really didn't care mining for, right? So in a sense, it's kind of what happened to get that. It gets that game in my eyes. So now we move on to your sophomore year. It starts Where- off like losses to Duke and UConn and number one Kentucky at the RCA Dome. After well, it starts off, it starts off with loss in an Alaska shootout. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so now, so now, exactly, Alaska Anchorage, right? So now, let's go here because this is important. That game is kind of what I alluded to. All summer, fall, winter, we're prepping. I have my expectations set. We're going into that game. I'm starting that game. We got the game plan. Before the game started, the game plan got changed. And it was a stay up beat. It's okay. We have this thought in mind. We want to get Okay, cool. It just never got going. What happened in the second game? You just mentioned it. We played against UConn. I get thrown out there against Ray Allen. I learned how to defend triple screens <laughs> and double screens, right? I learned how to, you know, I learned how to play defense that day. I'll be honest with you. He taught me a good lesson of how to guard. Yeah, your dog doesn't like Ray Allen either. Yeah. No, I love Ray Allen. Uh, but he taught me how to play defense that day. But, you know, you want to go into that situation. I'm giving you exactly what happened. My expectation was I'm going to start that game against Alaska Anchorage. Right. You know, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden he changed the line to make it more bigger and have me come off the bench. Well, again, my head, that was that was kind of knocking against me. Mm. So I kind of went somewhere mentally. Like, I wasn't interested in playing that freaking game because I'm like, you just changed up the, the, the starting lineup. Mm. And 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 now it was like okay now you need me to get out here and play. 
again, at, tw- at 20, ni- at 19, you don't realize that. In fact, you can say all day, be ready to play. Mm, that's personal. Right. Yeah. That's it hurts. Personal. It hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Like, look, I, I was not a high-level athlete on any level, but well, that doesn't make any sense. I wasn't a high-level athlete at all. Full stop. I played on my high school basketball team, and I had worked my way into the starting lineup in my senior year. And then I remember something happened, and the coach benched me the next two games. I was devastated. I mean, it was personally – I was depressed about it. It was yeah. – I didn't – it was like – I had this, like, frog in my throat the next, like, couple weeks trying to figure out right. what happened. It, it's right. a hurtful thing. and. And again, yeah. I don't think that goes away just because you're really good at basketball. No, it does not. And, and again, and, and I don't care. I don't care who you are. You're a person. You're a human. And, and I and I'm, I'm not going to shy away from how that made me feel because it, it, it doesn't make you less of a person. I think the more vulnerability you show shows you the more strength you have. And um, again, at 18, you don't know any better. And it hurts, but who do you share that to? Because what about the other guys who didn't even get off the freaking bench? Who didn't take their candy shots off? So who are you at this time? Right. You're playing about, okay, you're, you were in the starting lineup. You end up learning those things you know, later on, but that stuff does. And it's not something that you ignore, to me, if I, you're looking to become all you can be. Totally. So, um that's what's going on on the court with you and the team. The team starts off five and five. Uh, your minutes are up and down. You play against Delaware where you played 38 minutes and scored 23 points. You played DePaul, you only score, uh, you score 25 points in, in over 30 minutes. Um, but then something happens to the team in January that that is something I wanted to get into with you. We've talked to this gentleman uh, and and really had an amazing conversation with him. But in January of that year, Sharon Wilkerson is kicked off the team. And Sharon obviously was a big part of that team. What do you remember about that time, and just how difficult was that for you as a teammate of Sharon's and somebody who I assume is on some level friends with him? What what was that like for you? Um. When, when that happened with Sharon, it was, to me, surreal. Only, only word that comes to me is surreal because I've never experienced where a teammate was kicked off of, of, a, of a team, of any team I was on. And, um, and, and, and rightfully so because there were rules that we have as a team that are non-negotiable that you just cannot do. Right. And whether he did it or not, which is not my argument, um, it, it was understood where you, you cannot do these things and, you know, expect to represent Indiana. And um, it was, I believe, out of the coach's hands. Um, and, I mean, let's, let's again, perspective-wise, you know, would you want to be held accountable for hearing about an incident and then also allowing this player to still be around? Knowing that that's that that I mean you know that's kind of going against you as far as I don't care how many you know apologies and 
policies you have in place, you got to be mindful of that kind of stuff. You don't want to condone violence in general. You cannot be a part of it. Whether I'm, And again, I'm not saying he did it or not, because um, I never got clarity on the story, but it was unfortunate, very unfortunate. Yep. And again, I, it was more surreal. How do you how do you really handle that impact? I never had a teammate get kicked off the team, or never dealt with a situation like that. Well, the team uh, gets its stuff together and actually turns in a really solid Big Ten season with a couple bumps here and there. But I want to talk. Mm-hmm. This is a stretch for you that that I really want to focus in on because starting this is your sophomore year, and mm-hmm. starting with the. Purdue game on the road. I'm just going to read off some stats for you. We don't have to focus on each game, but I just want to read this stretch of games. 32 minutes, 10 points. Michigan, uh, now playing number 20 Michigan, 38 minutes, 8 points. Penn State, 30-plus minutes, 10 points. Iowa, 36 minutes, 12 points, 5 rebounds. Northwestern, 31 minutes. Minnesota, 39 minutes, 12 rebounds. Iowa, 35 minutes. Number nine, Penn State, 40 minutes. I got to stop you. I got to stop you. Yeah. stop you. Yeah. Okay. Minnesota, 12 rebounds in 12 minutes. Is that that the game? No, I think that's a different one. That's a different one. Okay, go. Keep going. My bad. This (laughs) one I've got you. Yeah, this one I've got you 39 minutes in the 12 rebounds. There we go. There we go. There we go. Iowa, 35 minutes. Penn State, number nine, Penn State, 40 minutes, 13 points. Again, 40 minutes. Next game, Michigan, all 40 minutes, 15 points. Number seven, Purdue, 37 minutes, 18 points. Illinois, 32 minutes, seven rebounds. Wisconsin, 39 minutes, 12 points. I mean, you are playing virtually every minute of every game. Load management was not a thing. Load (laughs) management was not a thing. What is load management? I know what load management was. So I guess I'm sorry for just reading all that off, but I guess my question is, do you feel like, oh, man, everything is clicking now? Like this is I, – I am a huge member of this team, and this is what my next two and a half years are going to be like? Um, I, I want to go back. I think it was that – it was uh, – what game was that? Now <clears> – <throat> This was this was a part where I kind of felt like I was I started to the rubber met the road. One of those games you mentioned, um, I remember talking to one of the coaches. Was like, man, man, I played okay. He was like, Chaz, this one you call me Chaz. Chaz, you had seventeen points. You had whatever, right? Yeah. Say I play, right? But I ain't any jump shots, coach. He was like. You attacked the basket all game. I said, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> My focus was so much on making a jump shot in a game right? that you don't realize the impact of what you're talking about, of your contributions and services to the team. And that, to me, is when the rubber met the road. My sophomore year, like, okay, I'm, this is, this, I'm playing – like my personality, because I'm just I'm playing these minutes. And I'm asking, he's asking me to play this, play that role. And then he got here and do it. That sophomore campaign was pretty strong. I felt really good about that. 
But you guys, you won your last four games in the conference. You get into the NCAA tournament, but you lose to a lower-seeded Boston College team by 18. Mm -hmm. What do you remember feeling as that season came to an abrupt end, much earlier than any of you wanted or expected, and and how did you approach the off season to to try to rectify that? Another game that another player that you'd expect to beat you. Beat you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I remember uh, was that Orlando. Yeah, that was in Orlando. Orlando. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Orlando, right? I remember that because yep. that was Brian's senior uh, year. I remember spending time with him in his uh, hotel room after that game. Just talking about the next level, which he ended up playing in Orlando for the Magic. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, again, I think it's just going into, okay, I, I want to finish the season off stronger. Let, you know, we – we're better than what we represent later on in the season where you're just kind of a one-and-done team, right? And, you know, you have your ups and downs, your disappointments, and you have your surprises throughout the whole season. Um, but very unfortunate when we ended up losing against Boston College. And, again, lo and behold, another player for me, my perspective, ended up beating us that we really didn't game plan for. Um so going into my junior year, I'm like, okay, well, expectations are a little high. Now you're upperclassmen. You got a chance to see what it's really like playing Big Ten, playing high level basketball. So you know, let, let's you know, let's kind of go into this campaign ready to really lead and do all you can to be all you can for the team. And now you, I mean, again, listing those minutes and the performances you had, it does seem like, wow, this is going to be really from the beginning a Charlie Miller kind of coming out party in this junior right, year. Right, right, right. You're also joined this year. There's a, the, the interesting thing we didn't touch on on the year before that is totally different for this year, your sophomore year was really interesting in that there was no freshman on that team. Larry Richardson right. was redshirted. But there was mm-hmm. it was everybody that was on the team the year before played on this year. And then going into your junior year, now it's totally different because you are joined right. by Luke Jimenez, A.J. Guyton, mm-hmm. Michael Lewis, and, and a much ballyhooed Jason Colley. Mm-hmm. And so now you, it's got, you've got to have a, a much different dynamic as opposed to knowing everybody and just kind of more of the same. Now it's, you know, trying to incorporate a bunch of different guys in. You open the season. Again, I'm thinking this is a Charlie Miller coming out party. First game of the year, you play seven minutes. Right. What was that? Um, very interesting. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And and um this is also the time where uh coach Mike Davis that was his first year, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you all. Is that, oh, is that let me look. Let roughly, me look real quick. There's Coach Davis's first year. Nah, I know it, no, it wasn't. I don't think, I don't believe it was. I think it was the next one. No, I know it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. Okay, so I don't know. You know, again, what was, what was that first, what did we play that first game? UConn in the, in the Hoosier Dome. Okay, yeah, I, I don't know. I have no idea why. That, that right. was, uh, I can't even explain. I don't even know why that happened. Uh, do you, I don't do know you remember it bothering you? 
No. Okay. No, um, I, I don't remember it bothering me. It was, to me, one of those situations where, for whatever reason, the coach felt, uh, the coaches felt, you know, the order of play and the minutes played, um, if they felt they were going to get more production out of other guys, the I, I, only thing I can think of was that. Uh, one thing, one thing, Charlie, that I wanted to ask you, and again, I doubt you ever had this conversation with Coach Knight, but something that I find interesting about Coach Knight, I think that from afar you would think, oh, Coach Knight is a guy who only plays his upperclassmen and freshmen really got to earn it. But the truth is when you look at Coach Knight's teams, I do see a pattern where especially earlier in the year, he plays the freshmen a lot. And I'm wondering – does he treat? We know how important the Big Ten season was to Coach Knight. That was everything mm-hmm. to Coach Knight. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe again, you're 43, I'm 42. We look back on it with some perspective. Do you think maybe some of what Coach Knight did is said, "Listen, I'm going to see what these freshmen got at these early games because I don't give a shit about them, and I'm going to mm-hmm. play them. I know what I got in Charlie Miller, and he's going to play a ton in the Big Ten, which you did. But these early games, I can let the freshmen come out and you know spread their wings a little." Let me see who's got it and who doesn't so I know what I got when I enter Big Ten. Do you think that had anything to do with it? Okay, so the way you broke that down, if that was told to us 20-something years ago, I don't know about everybody else, but if you you tell me that, oh, man, coach, go have it. Do it. You explained exactly what happened. Go back to what happened to me my freshman or sophomore year. You just railed off the numbers. Right. That's no lie. It was heavy minutes freshman sophomore. And whether it was let me let me let me get these guys acclimated. We have nothing to lose. Let's get them revved up so we can get ready to play. Second half big ten uh postseason. You just you to me you nailed it. You look at everybody, a lot of players. Freshman right. and sophomore year, minutes double digits, production blah blah. Junior senior, kind of wings off. I don't know why. Very interesting. Yeah. Very very interesting take. But that's exactly how I always thought. What you just said is always what I kept to myself. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you just put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> As a coach now for 10-plus years that develops and trains and studies this stuff religiously, I don't look back and say what if, could if, blah, 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 but you just nailed it. You're, we're going off of what happened. You're going off of what happened. We're examining what happened. We're reflecting. You just nailed it. Heavy minutes, freshman, sophomore year. For me, the numbers start to wean off. Junior, senior. As you want to continue. Well, let me ask you about one of those freshmen who I knew, uh, at least I read you, you became close with and are close friends with. When did you know A.J. Guyton was going to be a really special player? When he came on campus the first day. Uh, when he came on campus for his uh, recruiting mm. uh, visit, I was the, I was the host. Um, and I knew then we had a special player. Um, not even in, in honesty, I didn't even watch him play in Peoria. I would, I would lie to you and say I knew what he was doing in Peoria. No, I just saw him how he carried himself, and 
And to me, AJ was one of those people, players, I would call an emergent leader. AJ didn't come in highly heralded. AJ didn't come in with, uh, you know, AJ came and ripped his butt off mm. and had a poise about himself, and he knew how to play. I didn't say what to play. He knew how to play. The way we played is the way he played in high school. Cut, move, with no ball strings, off ball, curl, cut, flare, shoot the basketball, make the right plays. I knew it from then on. Mm. He's going to be a hell of a player. Mm. So I want to ask about one game in the early part of this season because it is a game that Hoosier fans remember with great fondness, which is in New York, the preseason NIT, mm-hmm. you guys take on the hated Duke Blue Devils. Mm-hmm. And your uh, friend and, and classmate, Andre Patterson, goes off for clearly the best game of his career and one of right. the all-time great performances. What were he right. scores 39 points, six rebounds, two steals. What do right. you remember from that game and that environment and what Andre did? Well, take it take it, take it. it a couple games or a couple of days before that. We played against University of Evansville. And um, if I'm not mistaken, we just played them like in a regular season, pre, like preseason game. No, it was the it was the game before the Duke game in Madison Square Garden was Evansville. Right, right. So, yeah. so okay. So that I thought we played them twice. We you do. Like you play them time. later. You do. You play. Oh, you them play them later. Okay, got play later. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so here was so so here for, for me. You know, I know it was a big game because one, Coach Knight is, is playing against Coach Cruz, right? Who played for Coach Knight. You know, uh, yep. it, meant, it meant a lot for Coach Knight. So I remember leading up to it. You know, Jimmy's going to. Name them by name. Jimmy's going to have those players ready. Coach Knight's way of motivating us. Very good place. They play smart, hard. They cut. They do these things. And, um, you know, we ended up barely beating Evansville. They had a heck of a game. A good friend of mine, Marcus Wilson, had a hell of a game against us. And, um, you know, it was almost as if we lost that game. Because you know, we barely escaped Evansville. We were excited. We won the first game preseason at IT, or we won games prior to um, going into the championship game. And, and you know, it, I felt as if we lost the game because it was like the day before Thanksgiving, and it was just one of those, um, you know, just reminders of like <clears throat> we we didn't deserve to win that game. Uh, Jimmy's team should have won that game. Blah blah. It's a motivation. Motivation. Right, you know, the reverse psychology stuff, and it was just one of those games. I think it was like it was just brewing for all the players, and I think Andre took it personally and just went on smack Duke, right, <laughs> and, and just smacked the heck out of them. Right, Big so guy. now, you know, uh, again another Coach Knight, former player, Coach K, and you know we we pretty much have our way with them. And like you said, Andre scored 39, and, you know, we went to preseason IT pretty much on a high, you know, uh, come off that because we had a – I mean, it was a – one of those, again, it was more of a moral victory. And then I'm not just to disrespect the University of Evansville, but when, uh, you know, at that time, you know, escaping last couple minutes of that game, feeling good about it as a player, but then going to locker room, you know, being told you should have lost it because you didn't deserve it, motivation. First right. psychology. I get a 943, right? And it, just like that Kansas game you talked about, right? I mean, 
you know, it, 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 put, it, it really puts you in a position where you just you just team up. You just one team, one dream. And, you know, Andre had a heck of a game. With Andre, there's one where we all knew the vast potential that this guy had. And there it was on full display for the whole nation to see. And we never really saw him reach that level again. Can you give any insight into to Andre? And, and we're getting to know, you know, your struggles here with the, the up and mm-hmm. down, the hot and cold of Coach Knight mm-hmm. playing or not playing. Why was Andre never able to uh, attain that level again or keep a consistent level that, you know, could have put him on the path of being a Big Ten player of the year, first-team All-American type player? Good question, and my transparency, I don't know, because I never asked him that question. Mm. I never did. I never asked him that question, because I don't know if we looked at it that way. I don't know if he was like, you know, I don't know if there were conversations he was having with his parents, his brothers, his sisters, or or I say brothers, or or outside influences. Um, I I don't know. I don't know why. I don't don't, don't know. Um, I just know that I think the expectations were put on him uh, I think he learned over time. They were really, really high. Top five player in the country, you know, and all these things you you've done. You know, top four in the country. You know, uh, you know what you did against Duke. We expect all the time now, and um, I think that's a lot to put on a young person. Um, I think I think it really is. You know, are you gonna score thirty nine every night? I don't know if you will. Right? It's gonna be great, but can you contribute to a way where? You know, you're consistent. I think you can, but then the ups and downs mentally, the ups and downs mentally took a toll on a lot of players. And, again, not giving the psychology to understand how to handle that. I think it's one big thing. I could talk about that across the board. You don't realize mm-hmm. what you're getting into. You don't understand how to handle it. You think you do, right? You think you do, but you don't. Mm-hmm. You don't handle that. Right, and if you have expectations of playing in the NBA, you're supposed to go through all these things, and you're not doing those things. Yeah, I don't know the impact that had on Andre because I think those I think those those emphasis was put on him. Mm-hmm. For sure, right? Well, the team the team starts off gangbusters. Now, you did go out to a 14 and one record. Now, I will say this: obviously, you beat Duke. You did lose to Kentucky. You get blown out by Kentucky by 34. Right, right, right. Now. Yeah. When you go back and look at this schedule, it certainly is not the same level of toughness as your first two years at Indiana. Right. So you're 14 and one. You get all the way up to 12th in the country. Are you at this point? You're a veteran now. You're in your junior year. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think when you're 14 and one, we got a real shot? Like, or do you know that maybe the record isn't reflective of exactly how good the team is? At that time, um, personally speaking, I wasn't really into the clips, you know, looking at ESPN, the USA Today, and and look at the rankings. You hear about it. Um, But for me, it was just continue to drive and get better. Process. It wasn't, you know, oh, my God, we got a chance to win our championship. It wasn't. I think it was like, oh, my God, what a relief. (laughs) We're 14-1. <laughs> you know, who cares how we're doing it? We're freaking winning. And it was a different vibe. The energy was, was different. The practices were upbeat. 
right? Yeah, you lost. You got smacked by Kentucky. Didn't freaking lose. You got smacked, right? Um, and, and you know, but you're going into this thing, winning the preseason NIT, you got some highs. You know, we're starting to come into our own as a team. We're starting to create an identity. So to me, that was on my mind. Well, you enter well, what, the Big Ten season. Go ahead, Ward. Okay. Uh, well, I, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, going into this Big Ten season, uh, we, we've had the fortune to to talk to many players for many seasons, and so often there's these hot streaks, cold streaks of winning six or seven or eight or, you know, losing the comparable amount on, on for the teams that were figuring it out. But what I'm noticing looking through this Big Ten season, it's so up and down. You know, there's a couple of wins, three losses, three wins, a loss, a win, a loss. Like, is that just the team? Because you said you were starting to figure out before the conference what your identity was, but then as you get into conference, it just seems so hit or miss. Was that a team just struggling to find its chemistry and how the, the, the pieces fit together? Or how do you explain having such different results by the same team? I would say all of the above. I think when we talk about identity, um, for me, identity comes to how we're going to play. We knew defensively what we were going to put out effort-wise. We didn't really do a lot of switching. We game plan well. We watched, We took great notes. We all had personal uh, – I'm not sure if any players ever told you. We all had, had personal journals that we actually took notes in. We watched film, extensive film. We gave plans like we were coaches. Offensively um, speaking, I think that's kind of where we were, what I would call identity theft. I think and you are kind of going into it where we knew AJ was going to be consistent, but as far as the like upper class and scoring, where we're scoring will come from consistently, I don't think we had an identity. Mm-hmm. I don't think we had one. I don't think we knew, like, I don't think you knew, like, one person gave you 15, 17, 18 consistently. I don't, you didn't have that. Like, you had it, Brian, you had it, Allen. You didn't have that. You know, you had a freshman step up. And, again, AJ, he played consistently well. And But as far as other classes go, you were just kind of more like a crapshoot. Well, you, again, with, with your minutes, the first 12 games of that year, I think you played over 34 minutes twice. You then have a stretch in the Big Ten. Again, part of the Big Ten, you turn to Chaz because you know he'll be, he'll, he's a baller. <laughs> exactly, exactly. you got ten, not, games, not, ten games in a row where you play a minimum of 34 minutes. You play 40 mm-hmm. minutes twice. You play 40-plus minutes twice in two overtime games. And in virtually every one of these games, it is double-digit scoring. It is 11 points, 10 points, 11, 14, 11, 12, 22, you know, and when you don't have a ton of points, there's seven rebounds, eight rebounds. Uh, again, it's like you're back into this cycle now where you're in the main rotation, you're one of the key guys, and then almost as quick as it came, you play Northwestern and it goes away again. 17 minutes, 17 minutes, 12 minutes. What Do you remember can you put yourself back in those in that stretch and what was going on in your mind when that was happening? I can't. Um, I can't. I know one game, I believe it was our junior year. 
Because um, you mentioned Northwestern. Hey, again? Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. You, you, I said, I can't, I can't remember, but, but I do remember one game when I felt the tide turned. You, men, you mentioned the stretch of games, but you didn't mention Minnesota. And I remember playing in Minnesota, and it was um, – if you have the stats in front of you, if you have the game in front of you – Yeah, I'm looking. We have – you played – on January 8th, you played number 11 Minnesota and lose in overtime. Okay, okay, that game right there. That game right there. Okay. Okay. That's the so, game. That yeah. is the game. That is the game where everything changed. Really? For me. In Indiana. I'll tell you why. And I'll never forget this. Kind of going back when I told you about Allen missing that dunk my freshman year. I had a string of games my junior year, as you just mentioned it, my contributions in any kind of way, scoring double digits, rebounds, affecting the game. That game, we were winning by like 14 or 15 points against Minnesota. All of a sudden, the game changes. Now, now I'm going to be blunt. Um, can I curse, by the way? Yeah, you can go for it. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to be like, so, um, what happened was, uh, it was just one of those games where coach was kind of substituting, like, he'll put me in and take me out. And this was kind of like the whole game where I felt I couldn't get a rhythm. And I kind of was having a sense of awareness of like, okay, if I get stringing, I can help whatever contributed in some kind of way. We ended up losing that game over time. And that was a tough game because what happened after that game was uh, Coach Knight kept myself and he kept A.J. Guyton in after that game. And we had to watch the, the film. We had to watch the game. And we had to critique the game as to why we played so bad. And I ended up stepping up and said, I'm not a fucking robot. Mm-hmm. You can't put me in and out of the game. I can't play that way. And Coach said, <laughs> you know what he said? You know what he said? He did some things. Like, that's the most selfish thing I've ever heard you say. And for me, I'm like, what? Selfish? I've been unselfish my whole freaking career. And I'm like, okay. And from that point, it was a whole different year and a half. Hmm. Because that following game, tell me the stats of that following game after the Minnesota game. Uh, you played Northwestern and you only played 20 minutes. Bingo. And give me yeah. the next game. Well, then I think it actually starts to turn back up. You play, you lose to Purdue. You get blown out by Purdue in the next game. And you're back in the starting lineup, actually. You, you play 36 minutes. That game, I remember. Because it was, I mean, it was a tough, that was tough. Because there was things I had to do off the court to kind of get back in Coach Knight's graces. Because for me, I'm like, I'm finally finding my identity. I'm, I need to play. I just can't come off the bench and be ready to go. Not saying I had to start, but I had expectations. 
Whether that was selfish or not, that's my thing. Okay? But I know from that point on, it kind of, the tide kind of turned. At least for me and my perspective. Right, all that matters because is what was going on in your head, you know? Yeah. Well, and yeah. you, say, you said that, you know, you, you needed to get into a flow, into a rhythm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think one thing, being a student there at the time and watching this team with all this talent not, not live up to, you know, the Duke game, was mm -hmm. we started to wonder and talk amongst ourselves, are you guys afraid that if you make a mistake or you're not playing well, you'll get pulled out? And that starts a downward spiral where you're playing with less confidence because that mm -hmm. threat is always looming. Is, was there any validity to our our talking about such things? A lot, man. That was it. You played under you played under under fear. You didn't play under pressure. You put pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. You you know it's like if you make a play and you look into the sideline. Come on, you're not playing. Yeah, you're not because again, what's more impressive? What I want to do personally which is just be on the court, whether I'm stinking it up or not, or do I really want to contribute in a way where we can affect the game for, so the team can have the best outcome we can have. I think it was more of a personal, I didn't say that's why I said it was more personal. I think it was more personal agendas where you play in fear of making mistakes. So get, what happens when you do that? If you have mistakes on your mind, you're going to create, you're going to manifest those mistakes. It is what it is. And at 43, I can easily say that. But that's exactly what happened. I don't think it was, you know, anything other than you played with no identity. You right. played with if you do make a mistake, you're gonna get pulled. And then again, all the all the negative talk that you have as a player, as is, in the locker room or whatever it is, small talk, right? And 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 it comes out. It it, it comes out. It literally comes out in play. You don't want it to, but it does. Sure. And that's just the reality of any athlete, right? I, I mean, it's like sometimes I look at the interviews online, all these pros, and I'm like, man, that's a bunch of bull crap. You know, I know what's really going on. I get it. I get it. I got it. You, we want to come off as we're tough as nails. I understand that. But the reality is we play in fear of coming out of the game. Not losing, but coming out of the game. So later that, in fact, Charlie, I'm looking at the stats more. It may have been the second Minnesota game because after the, second, the, second, one. the second one, you played 17 minutes, only scored two points. You guys lost by three. And then the very next game, Wisconsin, you only played 12 minutes. Michigan okay. State, was that only... game at home, though? Was that game at home? No, Wisconsin was. The first one was at home. No, 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 no. It was Wisconsin. Wait, it was Wisconsin. My bad. It was Wisconsin. Got it. It was Wisconsin. That was it. Was not Minnesota. It was Wisconsin. I don't remember Sam Oakey. It was Wisconsin, Got and it. that was a home game. Yep. Yep. And, and we were going, we were up. Ended up losing. I forget how by how much, but we were up. And remained a lot of that game. Ended up losing late in the game. It was a home game. And I remember after that, that's when the tie kind of turned. Where again, like you just mentioned, where there was less minutes actually, and it kind of weaned down. Right. Well, the season ends with a loss to Michigan State, where, again, you don't play a ton. And then you play in the first round against Colorado, and you really don't play a ton. You only play 13 minutes to finish your junior year uh, right. and really get handled by Colorado. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, the season ends with the team in the last 17 games going eight and nine, two and four over the last six. Um, and now you've only got one year left. You and Andre are this, you know, you're senior leaders now, and a lot of turmoil is happening on the team. Right, right. Uh, right. Neil Reed leaves before the season right. begins. Now, the other thing I want to ask about is because it was in your junior year, I believe, that mm. the incident with Neil happened. Now, it didn't right. get revealed until several years later. But mm-hmm. I'm just curious, do you remember any incident that do you remember the incident happening when it happened, or do you only remember it when you saw the video of it several years later? No, I was right there when it happened. Oh, you do remember it clearly. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember actually what led up to it. What led yeah. up to it was um, it was one of those things where um, Neil was going up to shoot the ball. And everyone was going to rebound, and last second he would pass the basketball, and it was like basically hitting players, right? And it was just one of those things where he was just—it was just kind of one of those things. They'll go up and shoot it. They want to shoot it last second, try to pass it, and everyone's in rebounding position, and mispasses were happening, right? And and it just one thing led to another, and Coach Knight got to a point where I guess he got so upset that he approached Neil in a way to me that was inappropriate. He grabbed him by the neck, and he jacked him up. And, and it's like, you know, Coach Knight's way of uh, giving you a life lesson in the sense of, you know, stop doing that. And um, and then for me, I'm not saying I was used to seeing stuff like that in practice, but I've seen things like that in practice. Okay, right. what is that? That's nothing. Right? That's nothing. Like, Coach Knight put his hands around Neil's neck. Okay, wow. Now, he never did that to me. Um, and I think he, I think it was one of those things I say as a coach where you treat everybody fair, but not the same. I think some players you knew you can go cross that line on and you don't really get the best of them. And some players you just had to talk to in a certain way and they're going to just be fired and fight from that. I think that was coach Knight's way. Um, so, um, other than that, that was like a typical day of practice that, you know, we would normally talk about stuff like that. You know, oh man, coach Knight got, we really got a meal today. Wow. You know, or Coach Knight did this, wow. But lo and behold, that affected Neil in a tremendous way because, again, we, I, we, that was my roommate. We lived together. It was Andre, myself, and Neil. And on that ride home after practice, Neil was quiet. So I can only imagine the impact that it happened to him from me, Andre, and my husband, whatever. But it really affected him. It affected him big time. And I didn't realize the impact until the next day, until I was like, man, Neil – Wow, Neil, you okay? What's going on, man? You know what? What's going on? I mean, he was really bothered. Talked to his parents about the situation. Because, um, again, we were roommates. And then all of a sudden, a couple of days later, it's a freaking shit storm that right. I live with. I seen firsthand. I saw when it happened. I lived with him every day. And the effects of uh, what he was going through, uh, depression, anxiety. I had to see, again, these words, what are these words to us, a 19-year-old kid? We get over that kind of stuff. We don't deal with that kind of stuff. Right. You know, you go party that you party that stuff out. You go hang out that stuff out. That really affected Neil. I didn't understand the impact. So so there was I, I didn't realize that when it happened when you say that there was a shitstorm, was the shitstorm because Neil decided to leave the program? Is that what you're referring to? Uh no. It was when it came out because now it's hearsay 
uh, as far as Coach Knight coached uh, uh, choking Neil Reed. He, oh, he you're, you're choked, talking about several right? years later. Uh, that. No, 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 no. When, when, not even, I think it was like not even a week later, it's out and about ESPN. Everybody's commenting on Coach Knight choking a player. That Without the video, right it was just that, like there was yeah, words exactly. going around. Yeah, it was, oh. just, it was it was hearsay. It was word word has it, Neil Reed was choked by Coach Knight. So you are being coached on what to say and how to say it to avoid the media. And again, I've always said this: if someone puts their hands around your neck, the media thought. You have to a word association. If I were to answer, ask a question, one plus one is what? Two would be if you put your hands around someone's neck, you're going to think there's a choking happening. So right. we can't say how Neil felt. Right. You know, I mean, come on, man. This, uh, you know, <laughs> so I would never downplay that. That's why I said to me it was, in, it was inappropriate. You don't have to put your hands on somebody's neck to get their attention. Yeah. That's me well, personally speaking. I don't so, know fuck how tough you are. You don't have to do that. Right. So to, to put it into the broader context for a moment, this is went on with Neil. Obviously, the repercussions led to him leaving the program. You guys have exited from the NCAA tournament three years in a row, one and done. There's a growing sense around the program that Coach Knight is no longer able to uh, effectively lead this team. Did you guys start to get a sense that this just wasn't about uh, some bad games or a a couple of disappointing ends to seasons? Did you get the sense that that the walls were starting to close in on on Coach Knight and the way he ran the program? No, again, I would say no. Because you're in in that. You're not – you you know look at it like to me look at it like this being online right you're 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 in it you're in that you're not around it you're in it right there was no talk of okay he's out of his prime coach is not a coach just and he's just who's talking like that nobody in the program is doing that now I can understand from the outside looking in you looking at traditional teams players. Uh, wins, losses, I can see that. But in the program, no, that was not even a thought process. We've right. And it, up and down years. Identity is not really clear. Roles, I think I think it's really trying to establish. Well, and as, as we were all just starting to get the internet at that point, there was still no Twitter <laughs> or social media for you guys mm-hmm. to have as much noise coming in from the outside as there would be mm-hmm. for today. But you know, even just on campus, you know, that feeling of, oh, hey, man, we love this class of guys, and they're all about to become seniors, and we really want them to realize their potential. What did you determine for yourself you needed to do to get ready to lead the team as a senior going into this, your final year? Well, that's where, for me, I think it became clear as a player, I just need to be present and, and, and be an all-around player. Minutes were not, uh, again, I, again, minutes were not high to me, you know, that situation after that Minnesota, uh, that Wisconsin game. Um, 
me telling myself, you know, hey, I, I have no idea what's going to come about it um, play-wise, but let me just do my best at leading and helping this team uh, get as good as we can get and be as positive and upbeat and optimistic as we can be. That was my mm. thought process going in. It wasn't I need to score 15, 18 points. It was let me do my best and let me, let me do all the things I can do. That was on my mind. So Neil leaves the program. Another mm-hmm. fiery uh, kid comes to the program, Luke Recker. Mm-hmm. You have an exhibition game against Athletes in Action where you lose to them. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you remember about Coach Knight's response when you lost to Athletes in Action? If I recall, I believe I may be wrong, but I think I barely played that game because I hit my head on the backboard. Oh, really? Oh, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to block a shot after an errant pass I made, and the player went up. I remember that game. player went up and uh, basically protected his body, and I just went up another level and hit the head of my back, my, hit my head on the backboard. Um, maybe wrong, maybe off, maybe happened my junior year, I'm not sure, but I know we lost that game. I know we lost it. I don't remember our coach responding. Okay. Uh, so, but I tell you this. Yeah. Uh, here's one thing that people don't realize. Athletes in action was a bunch of athletes in action that were former college players and pros. So, yeah, you're supposed to beat them by 20, 25. I get that. But, you know, um, they were it, coaches. Yeah, exactly. They were They were players. So, your senior year starts. And, I mean, look, there is really no point to go through every game. But clearly, there is a steep decline in your usage in this season. Yep. Um, was that – and like you said, you thought you felt it turn near the end of the prior year. Yep. Was there ever a conversation, Charlie, with you and the coaching staff that this was going to happen? Or was this just something you had to roll with and deal with and how did you do that? Um, never was a conversation. There were conversations leading up to it. And um, I think that's why I said earlier, my expectation was let me just be all I can for the team. It wasn't that you're going to have decreased minutes. You know, I think it was the normal pep talk that you normally have per player, expectations. Um, I was just putting two and two together. And I believe it was because, you know, I think they, again, heavy minutes and freshmen. So you got Luke Wrecker, um, similar positions, you know, probably more of a utility player. You, you may have the expectations to get all these things out of a player like a Luke. So my minutes were going to be affected by somebody like him. Got um, him. Then you have, um, as I saw over the years, just traditionally speaking, uh, you know, the the expectations – were a lot higher, and the forgiveness, the margin of error was a lot lower for upperclassmen, as we've been talking about in this conversation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that first game, I think we were in Hawaii. We, we played in this, uh, like, shootout. It was, it was against Temple, and it was against University of Hawaii. And I, I believe the first game, I took, like, less than six minutes or three minutes or something like that. Um I, I, and I remember that game because I remember, like, being cold playing, like, the second half of the, the game and missing a dunk. 
like I was stiff. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it was like a breakaway and had an opportunity to go up or something like that and miss a dunk. I was on the bench pretty much the majority of the time, right? And it was, um, it was just again one of those campaigns early on where I had to go somewhere mentally to keep myself upbeat and optimistic because I just sensed that this was going to be a long season ahead as far as up and down a play. The play would not be the same. You know, I I don't think the coaches looked at me any different. I just think there was a lack of trust and play in in key crucial minutes. And um, I felt that. So, you Can I ask real quick, just real quick about Jason Collier leaving the team? Because that mm-hmm. happened nine mm-hmm. games in. So nine games into the year, Neil left before the season. Mm-hmm. Jason leaves nine games into the season. What did that you, – you had been through it once with Sharon Wilkerson for very different uh, circumstances where he was kicked off. Neil left on his own accord. And now – but he did that in between seasons. Now you have a player leaving in the middle of the season. What does that do to a locker room and to a team? Well, with, with Jason, I think Jason's expectations were he wanted to put himself in position to play in the NBA. And I think he felt playing in Indiana was not the place to be. You know, he had to go play somewhere where he could play his game, so to speak. You know, shoot jumpers and attack the basket, put the ball on the floor, which he did. But, I, but again, I think there was more of a clear agenda. Got it. Him and his family and entourage probably had more than anything. Um, and and I don't see that as a disrespect at all. It's just more so, here's how I feel. I feel if I'm going to play at this level, the way I'm playing, I think I'm going to do it better playing for Coach Bobby Crimmins and Georgia Tech than playing for Coach Knight. Sure. And I, I, that's what I saw as the reason behind it. Um, he played a lot, a ton. He had margin of error to grow. It was just very interesting to me. He decided to transfer. You're yeah. getting everything that you want. Huh? I don't get it. Well, and, and you, you know, I think start of the, the narrative here of where, you know, not necessarily is the game itself passing coach by, but is maybe a little bit the mentality of the youth where there is mm-hmm. a little bit more of the, hey, what about me and mine culture coming into go. play? There where, you, go. you know, talking a lot to the players of the, you know, 70s and 80s, they were they were all, it seems, at least the ones we've gotten talked to, so bought into a lot of what you're talking about, you bought into as a senior was, hey, I've got to play mm-hmm. my role, whatever it is, whatever's best for the team. He said, I've got to have a great attitude, an optimistic attitude. Mm-hmm. Rather than mm-hmm. how can I get out of here and find some place to get mine so my future will be brighter, perhaps professionally. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to talk about, you know, you you kind of end this disappointing season, losing three, including your senior night against Illinois yeah. at Assembly Hall, and I just kind of wanted to to get uh, a feel for what you went through that night sort of a disappointing end to a disappointing season, but you still had this relationship in this home with 17,000 fans showing up every night. What, what was it like for you to, to play your last game there? Well, it was, I mean, let's also go back to that, that game was dominated by uh, Coach Knight versus uh, 
Mr. Referee Valentine, right? Right. Um, of, of, of not only going back and forth, but Coach Knight getting kicked out, uh, the technical fouls. And so it was just one of those, like, again, surreal nights where it's like, this can't be real, but it is, right? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it can't be real. How many times I said that to myself? Um, but it ends up being that way, where, you know, you end up losing against a really good, to me, Iowa team. I'm sorry, Illinois team. Yeah. Um, but, again, it was more plagued with um, the the antics and um, the focus on the referee and Coach Knight and the hoopla versus did you think, us doing our did best. You think, did you think Coach Knight was going to knock him out? No. <laughs> I did. No. I was at that game, and I thought no. if he walked on him, I thought, oh, my God, he's going to tackle him. He's going to tackle no, him. No, he's not. No, <laughs> listen. listen, Coach Knight to me is an exceptional person. He knows he will never break the rule, but he's gonna push the freaking freaking freak out of the rule, right? And that's what that guy did. He pushed the freaking rules, man. He pushed them. And him walking across that court pushed the rules. Yeah. Right? And and I, and that to me is what happened, right? And I think from there it just became a game of, uh, to me it was a wonderful game at that point because it's like, you know, the, the the odds are so high for Illinois because I think they shot like six free throws in a row. They got the ball back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was like one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. Now you got the antics and, you know, just like traditional coaches, and, and let's keep this real, I know some coaches like to get kicked out of the game because they think that does some things to the players. Right. To me, I just felt it was like one of those games where – let me let me get these guys fired up, right? Let me let me let me get. I don't know. I don't know Coach Knight's thoughts. Like I wasn't in the locker room with him, right? But I, I've seen that before. I've heard that before. I've been around this game long enough where, you know, you can tell coaches do certain things that get you know trying to get a certain rise out. I get that. I don't know what he was going through, but I just felt I knew it lit, it lit a fire under us. But I don't think the fire could stay too long because it was just too many things going against us that night, right? Yeah. And um, you know, and that was his infamous speech of being buried upside down, blah blah blah. Yeah, Ward Ward um, can read it. Ward can read it word for word. I have there you I, go. Uh, one of our kind listeners, the last time we were in Bloomington, gave us gave us this placard. When my time on earth is gone, and my activities here are past, I want they bury me upside down, and critics can kiss my ass. Yeah, that was the infamous, you know. Um, Whatever, what you just said, and again, again, smirk from me and everybody else. Ha ha ha! You know, we've heard stuff like that all the time, and you just keep moving. So um, I have to ask though, Charlie, at this point in your career, you're a senior. It's your last mm -hmm. day. The game was disappointing. Your senior season did not go the way I think you wanted it to on the court. When you hear him do that and the seventeen thousand go nuts, are you at a point where you're just over it? No, like you, you no, I, I wasn't. Uh, uh, not at all, not at all. Um, because I, because I knew in my heart of hearts, I was going to have, I was going to continue to play basketball. Right. Um, I knew it was not going to be over, and it wasn't because of promises or that was just again the boldness I had. I, whatever. Okay. I, I've, I, I know I can play. I know what I can do. Um, I never really had a big following as far as coaches or mentors. I never really had that. Um, 
I just knew in my heart of hearts I was going to continue to play, so I didn't really see it as like, okay, I'm done. Like, oh, my God, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm going to find a way to go play and show people what I can do consistently, what I learned here in Indiana and, then, and therefore on, and I did. So, because uh, now I want to I, I go there because I also want to go to, um, we end up playing Oklahoma. Yep. We beat Oklahoma, right? In overtime. In DC. In overtime, and then we end up playing UConn, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now let's go here. I have a heck of a game. Yes, you do. You ended okay. with a bang. Okay. And, and guess what? For some reason, I I don't play consistently. I'm out here playing and contributing, and all of a sudden, I, I'm like, what the heck is happening? You're a big I'm one of the reasons why we are in this game. Not Not just in it. That was the UConn team that was loaded, by the way. In fact, was that the and UConn they team? They ended up won? winning, and the they night? won in that championship. Yeah, and you were winning. You were beating them and at halftime. And we half were time. up. And, and gaining momentum. You weren't just up. You yes. were up by, like, six and yes. eight. You came in and, the only, and the, Yes, and the only reason why I say these things is these are things I'm reminded of when I have conversations with good friends of mine that just don't let stuff go. It is what it is. I appreciate it. But like, man, you were up. You were chilling. You were, I mean, you were doing. And all of a sudden, he put you, set you down. I'm like, okay. Um, again, when you're in it, you don't see it that way. Like, why is he shitting me? I don't know why he did it. Who knows? But I do know there was a there was a tide turn in the game. I'm not saying because of me directly, but. I remember catching an alley from um, AJ and playing well, playing great defense, rebounding, cool for rebounds, contributing. Um, and you know, lo and behold, you know, it is one of those kind of what I would say what plagued me my junior senior year. This kind of uh, up and down play. It was you know, no flow, no rhythm. I, I guess. So your well, career. Let's... In Indiana, oh, yeah. and Let, but before oh, we leave Bloomington, let's 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 talk about all the wonderful things uh, that Bloomington holds as an undergraduate mm-hmm. outside <clears throat> of basketball. This is mm-hmm. Eric and I like to do this, just kind of run through um, life life outside of Assembly Hall. Let's start where where was your favorite place to go grab a bite to eat when you were in Bloomington. I would say uh, the union. The right? union, you, you yeah, had, yeah, yeah. You had uh, in the union, the student union. You had all kind of food you can eat. Pizza Hut. So, um, pizza Hut was in the union. Pizza Hut. That was pretty neat because that was a little box pizzas, right? And, uh, yes. And the breakfast. Sometimes I would go. Sometimes I would eat breakfast. I, I forget that little dining hall. Uh, kind of like when you walk into the union to the right. I would sometimes like to eat in there. Sure. Um, I was, and that was that's kind of why I was spending like my alone time. Like some days, like on Monday, like on Mondays and Tuesdays, I was just kind of going there before before class. Just some downtime. Um, uh, in the union, you also play pool. I was you, you can frequently see, find me in the pool hall. <laughs> find me in the pool hall. Times I should have been in class. Might find me there. <laughs> you might find me there playing some pool and, and having some good times talking. Uh, eating some gummy worms from the candy shop that was right there. Yeah. Um, 
I got addicted to those freaking candy, little candy, uh, candy worms. Sugar uh, and spice. Worms, I did. Oh, God. Um, what about pizza? I would say that's like pizza. Pizza? You said pizza hut. Uh, no little mushroom. I made no disrespect. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, <laughs> Papa John's was, I think, coming around that time, but I don't, you know, pizza to me was just something to eat. Right. <laughs> I wasn't, it was, and you can't mess up cheese, sauce, <laughs> and bread. You can't mess that up. Uh, right? Now, Buffalo's. Yeah. Ah. Buffalo's, right? Go get you your wings, small wings. You see 25 of those at a setting. And the curly fries, the seasoned fries. Um, what was the sub shop? Right off of uh, Dagwood. Kirkwood. Dagwood. Dagwood. There we go. Go to Dagwoods, right? So I'm right outside of campus on the Dagwood BW3s. Now we know there's Buffalo Wild Wings. I couldn't get in on Tuesday. I think it was like Monday or Tuesday night and up until like my senior year. I still couldn't get in because I, I didn't turn 21 until after the season. But I could not get in. If you remember, they had like 10 cent wing night. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could, I could, they wouldn't let me in. I was, I, I was, I was too young. I, they would not let me in, but that was kind of like the highlight. I would always have to place my order to go. What I about have to your, my order in? What about your most hated class at Indiana? I dropped that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep it real. I mean, it was again, fellas. I share this, man. I was bold. Like I just stopped going to uh, either geometry. I'm like, I'm not taking the class. <laughs> I'm not taking the class. I don't care what I get, and I stopped going, and we. Got my my, my calendar uh, my my schedule changed and I wasn't a butthole about it. It's just some things that I'm great. If I'm adamant on it, I'm not doing. It, it was one of those classes. I'm like, I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. This freaking teacher is talking like uh, slow as I don't know what. I don't get him. You know, there's no personality. Nah, I gotta drop this. It was geology. It was uh, geology. Oh, geology. What about yeah, it was geology? Do you remember non-basketball? If you think back to your time at Indiana, what is the one non-basketball memory that sticks out for you? Hmm. Non-basketball. Too many. Mm. Too many. Too freaking many. That's good. I had a blast on campus, man. That's good. I mean, listen, man. I I had a freaking blast on campus. I owe Bloomington. Bloomington owed me. I I owe Bloomington. I, I, I mean... Again, Kirkwood, just walking, um, the nostalgia to me, uh, meeting, just, I was, I've always been a people person, hanging out, the uh, spontaneous conversations with people in general, uh, sitting down, they want to know more about Charlie Miller and basketball, I want to know about, more about you, where you come from, what you like to do. That, that was, to me, the, the, the fun stuff. I mean, yes, I understand what comes with that, but for me, it was always, uh, you know, learning about everyone else and, you know, why they're around campus. Now, have you been able to follow the program? Have you ever made it back to Bloomington since you left to, to check in on uh, on the old stomping grounds? Matter of fact, I just left Bloomington a couple, let's say about a month and a half ago. That's not even that. I went to go watch them play uh, Penn State. 
Oh, you oh, did? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was there. Um, I was there, and it was a must-needed win. So yeah. it was pretty cool to be there to watch those guys play and rival back. Actually, I don't think we – I think at one point they had like a – they were down by seven, but it was really good to watch them play and compete and uh, finish out strong. Penn State had a, re- had a really good team at the time, too. Yeah, and, top uh, ten. They, yeah, they they're top never not yeah, ninth in the country. They actually played – again, it was one of those games where if I go back, it was just like, what team – are we watching? <laughs> like they just yeah. lost to who? Yeah. They just what? Just huh? Right? And they put together a string of games against Minnesota. We went pretty high. Came home, played Penn State, played a really good game, played consistently well. Um, you know, got a chance to be, visit with the players, and the facilities are off the charts. My God. Yeah, how wow. jealous are you? How jealous are you? Well, luckily not too jealous because that's not real. That was Fantasy Island, man. That's <laughs> that locker room is not real. Okay, not real at all. Okay, the Xboxes, the the the, the leather couches, the uh, the, the seven hundred inch TV. Joking, I mean, just like all like wow. You know, I think I was standing at one point what used to be the parking lot of Assembly Hall. I was like in the second locker room that was created. Um, yeah. and, and I'm I'm like, wow, you know, it's like you know, and then you have also access to the training facility where uh they have the practice facility. So I'm I'm just happy that, you know, players have the opportunity to continually work on their game. Uh and, and who to say that, you know, take me back seven, eighteen, nineteen, you I wouldn't leave the gym. I don't know. Right? You know, you have access to it 24 hours a day. But it was pretty neat to kind of be around facilities to see all of what was available to them as far as working on their game and their craft. Did you get a chance to talk to Archie at all? I did. I did. We, I visited with him, and it was a really good conversation. We have a, a mutual friend that um, that we have uh, personally. Um, Archie, in the, Archie played with him at, at, uh, at NC State. And Brian Keeter, um, and, and um, many years ago, Brian was in a car accident that uh, he was paralyzed from uh, uh, kind of waist down. So Brian, and actually, I knew Brian back because I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. And actually, mm-hmm. when I was in Raleigh, uh, Archie was playing. Okay. So I didn't know Archie then. So let's not, you know, let me not make that connection. But I knew they were really good friends because they played they played together at NC State. And so that was our commonality when I mentioned, um, Brian, I knew about you in U.S. State, you know, we had a good talk, you know, and and it was, you know, short five, ten minutes, just kind of catching up, name dropping, and, you know, just proud of what he's been able to do. And and for me, when I say that, it's beyond wins and losses because I'm looking at someone who was a former player and worked himself up the ranks as a coach. So for me, it's always I'm looking at this person's track the last 10, 15 years of their lives. And for, I decided to go down the personal development route of players. Someone like Archie decided to go to coaching a team in, in college and beyond. That, to me, is what the conversation always for me and being, being congratulatory towards other people. Got it. Now, uh, first of all, it warms my heart for you to say we. 
when talking about the Indiana Hoosiers because sometimes we as fans, we, we don't know, you know, how much sentimentality or, or feeling of, of connection that there still is. But it does mm-hmm. seem fairly universal, and clearly in your case, you still feel very connected and a part of the, the, the program and its, its fate. And you were back there, I'm assuming this was the first time since Coach Knight came back. What did it mean to you, and what do you think it means to the, the program moving forward and, and what Coach Miller can do now that this wound has been healed? Well, you just said it. I think when you talk about someone coming back, I think you, it's a, much more of a completeness, right? Mm-hmm. I think there was an emptiness that happened because, again, you have someone like a coach United who is ousted on his, uh, you know, with, without retiring for whatever reason that happened. And there's some sentiment, there's some resentment, there's these words going back and forth between the the former president at the school at the time, uh, Miles Brand, and all these other things going on. And you look at what Coach Knight helped build at a winning tradition, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's ousted as a coach. He's fired, and there's no closure, right? So I look at it as a relationship. So you, you fast forward 20-plus years, and now all of a sudden, the players' network, meaning the former players' alumni association, started getting strong. Um, they're doing things internally now to keep us all um, abreast to – Every day, everybody's ongoing. They have the players' reunion, which happened, I think, a couple games prior, uh, where all the players came back. If you could, I could not come back. I thought Penn State was a game for me because my schedule wouldn't allow it. And then there was a secret thing that I knew was brewing with Coach Knight coming back. I think it's closure. You know, you offer closure. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there was a healing. Right, and I think there was a there was a cloud. To me, you always have a cloud like that when you have someone who is, is as legendary as he was at Indiana with no closure. I think you always will have some type of mistake. What if, what if that you know can, can, can Archie talk to Coach Knight, you know, um, about things? You know, I mean, two different style of coaches. We're talking about also decades that separate coaching styles and philosophies and understands the game. Right, Coach Knight was a teacher of the game. He is a teacher of the game. He taught us how to play. You know, um, X's and O's was not Coach Knight's thing. It was how to play. It was how to position yourself. It was how to read. It was how to cut. How to be alert offensively, defensively. To me, that was Coach Knight. Mm. Um, that was Coach Knight. You know, and, 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 and life lessons that go beyond the game with Coach Knight. And I'll tell you some, a life lesson right now. It has me going in my 11th year as a personal trainer developer that's still going today from a life lesson he gave me. I believe it was my junior senior year, and I don't know if he did it in spite. I don't know why he did it, but there's just so many things that just don't leak it. I just remember one day in the locker room, he, he turned to me and said, Charlie, if you ever want to learn how to do something, you have to learn how to teach it. Mm. And I don't know what that did, but it it did something to me, fellas. I was like, huh? I teach it. Okay. So from then on, anything I ever did, I had to learn to teach myself. And now I say this, when you teach it, you learn it twice. And that was Coach Knight. Coach Knight taught us how to play. He also taught us how to live. So there's two things going on at the same time. That's why I'm not surprised when I hear guys are doing things 
you know, with passion or, or in their endeavors, that they're, you know, they're doing extremely well or they're doing the things that they desire because Coach Knight taught us how to teach. Wow, that is that is awesome. And that is, uh, and clearly you have taken that in, in what you're doing and what you've been doing over the last 10 years. Look, we could talk to you for another couple hours about your professional career and then what you've done to dedicate your life to the game of basketball and teaching and developing young young people and teaching the game. But mm-hmm. we should do that on a different – let's do that on a different podcast. Uh, Charlie, I said it at the beginning. Ward and I were both there. I'm a year older than Ward. I was there 95 to 99. So you and I overlapped mm-hmm. for three years. And mm-hmm. you were my guy. I mean, you were – you were one of my guys on that team and a huge part of my experience at Indiana university was tied up in what you were doing on the court. I always loved watching you play, but I got to tell you, man, getting to just hear you for the last couple hours, getting to hear you talk about your older brother and your family and how you had this just kind of innate maturity to deal with the ups and downs of the very challenging uh, experience that you had on the court when you were playing a lot, when you weren't, it just fleshes you out as this full human being and makes me like fall in love with you all over again. Uh, and I'm just, uh, I'm just so uh, privileged and honored to be able to talk to you for these last couple hours and to really be able to give insight to an Indiana basketball story that goes so far beyond just box scores and wins and losses. And it's just an honor to talk to you, man. And I hope it's the first of, of many conversations, both on the podcast and off, because we feel like we're part of this IU basketball family, and uh, and we want to be part of it with you. Um, again, I I appreciate all of what you just said, and I, and it means a lot because um, these that's just the way I want to live my life, um, and and I want to be known for exactly what you just said. Someone who just had high character. I feel character is more caught and taught in life. And and I and I think uh when you're able to again just be your authentic self. You know, you said it earlier and that's just all I know to be. Um and, and what what I look to pass on to players or people that come my way and I, I said pass on because I left out a crucial letter and that pass on was I. And that pass on is pass I on. That's passion. I've always had that. Yeah. Right? And when you play with passion, you pass the I on. You guys are passing your I on to me by inviting me to your podcast. And the way we broke this down, and I expect to be on this phone for two hours, but I could be on this phone another six hours. <laughs> right? As we are catching up. That's and, right. And just rolling with it, right? That you guys are passing on your I. And now we ended up playing in Indiana. So here's what I say about Indiana. You look at that logo. Look at that I and that U. It's like three eyes, right? It's three eyes, and it's like impact for me. It's influence, impact, and imprint. That's what Indiana means to me. There was an influence that that shaped, that really shaped, you know, the last half of my life. And again, really big part when Coach Knight told me about if you ever want to do something well, teach it. That was influence. It impacted my life, and now it's imprinting my life and others as well. So that's passion. It's passion that I own, man. And we were very privileged to play, uh, go to Bloomington, forget play, go to a school like Indiana, create a relationship like this. And you say I was your guy. I appreciate that. And now we can we close that gap because now you see beyond the X's and O's and box scores. 
Absolutely. And, and Charlie, I'd like to just echo all of Eric's sentiments. And also, before we let you go, um, for those listeners, because we know at least one in the Dallas area, Jared, um, can you just give a shout-out to Attack Basketball and where people can find out what you're doing and how they might even get a hold of you if they're in the area and want to get some uh, world-class training from you? I appreciate that. So, uh, real quick, in 2010, I started Attack Basketball Academy. It was one player. Uh, it was something that grew organically. It was someone who needed shooting lessons, and I said, I can help you. And then uh, the player ended up responding to my shooting lessons and technique, and then one person led to three, we led to seven, and within nine months I had 20 teams I was coaching, not all at one time, but I was wow. coaching 20 teams. And uh, it was a uh, range uh, from second grade all the way through high school. And uh, fast forward today, the way the program is set up is uh, I coach teams. I, I coach uh, uh, club teams from, uh, again, second grade through high school. And my primary focus is really teaching players how to play basketball, how to play the right way, where I call it I teach and repair individual skills that transfer to universal team concepts. So whether you play for a coach like Coach Knight that yells and screams and demands, whether you play for a passive-aggressive coach, it doesn't matter. You have the skill set and the soft skills to handle. Whether you play for a coach that, that puts you in a position that they run 25 plays uh, a game, you can play for that coach. It doesn't matter. I'm all about complete player mentality. You know, become a player, as I mentioned earlier. So a lot of what I told you about being a player, that's what I do with my players. I want you to be play. I don't care if you're seven foot tall. You need to learn how to handle the basketball. I don't care if you are uh, the smallest player on the court. You need to learn how to post up. You need to be a player. So when your number's called, you need to be in a position to play. What if I'm wow. six feet tall, 41 years old, and terribly unathletic? I'll give you an interesting story. I have a couple of older players, older people, in particular a couple guys who love to play, who train with me, who say, hey, look, I play every day, and I, I just want I just want some, some insight to, to really take my game to the next level. And it happens. Literally, I got one guy I can talk about right now. Uh, I'm not going to bring his name up, but, you know, he's almost in his 50s, and we train regularly. And it's, it's, it's insight. It's small things that we talk about, small habits, and how he's enjoying using all these things in younger players, and they're looking at him like, how do you know this stuff? What are you doing? He's training. So it, it's, it's again, so I've opened myself up. I don't look at that and think, okay, why is this older guy training with me? No. It's passing the game on in a way where I can just be myself. Uh, it's beautiful. And, and Jared Morris from Assembly Call, he lives there in Dallas. He's supposed to be coming to the fantasy camp in the fall. I think he should get with you and train. He'll have a real no. leg up on no, him. No, 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 no. We don't need him to have any help. We don't need him to have any help. <laughs> hey, uh, sorry, one question before we leave. We always like to ask people uh, that have nicknames if we can use their nicknames because then that makes us feel like we're friends with them. So can we call you mm -hmm. Chaz from now on? Well, you can call me Chaz. And um, that was the nickname given by Coach Telling. Oh, uh, love, love him to death. Um, Chad, Chad, it was Chaz, Chaz Motaz. <laughs> it was all, all, all versions of Charlie, right? And um, and Charlie is my government name, not Charles. It's Charlie, so we know. Oh, okay, uh, I like that. Very cool. 
So, uh, now, if you really want to be on the in crowd, my nickname that everyone called me was Fluke, F-L-U-K-E. That is my nickname. I grew up with that name. No one really? in Miami called me Charlie. No. They started calling me Charlie because of uh, uh, basketball stuff and because it's Charlie Miller. But, like, it's, I don't even – you call me Charlie and I'm at home? Who is that? Huh. <laughs> what? Where did Fluke no. come from? Okay. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. That was a nickname given to me from my mom. And it's every variation I hear of fluke when I'm home. I hear fluke, F-L-U-T-E, F-L-U, F-L-O. I hear all kind of stuff. I know what they're saying. But my nickname was fluke. All right. You call me Charlie, I don't, you, you really don't know me. Because the first thing I'm going to tell you, you call me fluke. Not because I didn't like that name. That's my nickname. People call me by my nickname. Well, Fluke, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking all this time. And um, hopefully uh, all this madness in the world will calm down and we can all find ourselves in Bloomington next season uh, having a damn good time in person. There we go. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic you will. Um, I, I appreciate you guys and, and continue to do what you're doing. Um, I love the breakdown, um, how we went over the years. Uh, you guys provided me some insight uh, that I forgot. <laughs> um, but it's fitting. It's very fitting to realize all of what I've accomplished. And there's still more to be done, but I just appreciate what you guys have done today. I appreciate Thank you. Well, thank you, Fluke, and we will talk to you soon, man. Keep it up. Keep, right, and I hope it. you and your family are well and stay safe. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. Well, that was Charlie Miller, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it's been several weeks since we recorded it. And uh, Ward and I typically do the outro right afterwards, so it's fresh in our minds. This one, because I think we were running to another podcast, we, we delayed and we're doing the outro the same time we do the intro. But in just reflecting on the Charlie Miller interview, the, the thing that stuck out the most to me was how easy would it have been for this guy in the circumstances that he was in to transfer? How many people, especially today, you're the leading scorer in the state of Florida, you're a star, you think you're going to be given the ball, and then junior and senior year, your minutes are cut, and you see the writing on the wall, people today would not even flinch. They would just transfer, yeah. especially with how easy it is to transfer. But even if it wasn't that easy to transfer, so many kids would have left. And this guy, who had no ties to the state of Indiana, no ties to Bobby Knight, other than just knowing of him and knowing of Indiana, from Florida, decided he loved Bloomington. He committed to play basketball for Indiana University. His coach makes the decisions on who plays and how they play. And he stuck it out. And not enough credit is given for just that, completing what you said you were going to do. You made a commitment to the school. The school made a commitment to you. You fulfilled it. And that is commendable. Well, and I think it shows, it, it demonstrates the idea that Indiana basketball 
is bigger than any one person, even the biggest person to ever be associated with Indiana basketball. When you talk about Bloomington, the campus, the students, the teachers, the classrooms, the, the teammates, the fans, the, the whole state's eyes are upon you. That is something even to somebody coming from, from South Florida, which in a lot of ways has a lot of its own allure that he certainly could have returned to or any other number of programs or cities across the country, but that he had invested so much of it, uh, of himself into the program that there's ownership. You become a Hoosier and you want to stick it out even in less than ideal circumstances. So I think it's, it's both a, a tribute to the player himself and to what Indiana University is for all of us who went there, basketball player or no. I also go back to something we talked to him about, we touched on, that didn't impact him as much as I think it impacted us. But the Calvert Cheney comparisons Huge. were just, they were eerie. They were eerie. Yeah. I mean, you know, Calvert graduated in 93. You know, so we had a little time, like, and that was such a, special time for for us as fans and he was such a special player and then here comes charlie not that long after when the memory of calbert is just so fresh in everyone's mind he looked like him he played you know he was he was the same size basically they were both left-handed they, it, the, the similarities were weird and, and, and one of the biggest differences was was that Charlie actually had a, a more celebrated and prolific high school career. Yes. So you're like, here comes the doppelganger who by any measurement coming in should be as good, right? And of course that is an absurd thing to expect. And it is, but we did, but we, we did. did. You know, we, I'm, I mean, I'm know a high school kid watching him play these these summer tournaments before showing up. And, of course, the competition level isn't there. But you see that smooth lefty out there, and it's like, oh, boy, we got another one. Totally. And I think, like, this kid's from Miami. Like, I understand Florida isn't Indiana when it comes to basketball. But it dwarfs it in size. So I'm like, just by sheer odds, they've got to have a ton of good basketball players. He's playing in the city, you know, playing Miami kids, city kids. This is, it's got to be like tough in some way. It's a huge state. He's the best player in the state. And he looks and seems to resemble Calvert Cheney in every possible way. That pressure, um, it's just unfair. It was an unfair expectation, like you said, that we had for him. And yet, even in retrospect, it like didn't bother him much. He he seems to have such a good command of who he is, what yes. he has done in his life. And and so that stuff, that security allows him to not be bothered by that nearly as much as it, it bothered us. But I feel right. bad personally for putting that on him and and again doing the research for the, the pod with him, you realize this guy had tons of great performances for indiana and oh and when again, he's when he's talking about having you know his career best uh, even though the team lost and he's just like yeah I'll, I'll be real with you i was feeling pretty good i wasn't that upset <laughs> like that is so refreshing it really is because of, of the honesty and and it is a reminder of like oh yeah this guy showed out sometimes for sure 
totally. And a reminder, you, the, the honesty part, also is a reminder that, like, these are kids. These are kids. They're eight. I mean, like, you think about when we were in school watching Charlie Miller, like, we were idiots. We're yep. still idiots. Mm-hmm. But we were even bigger idiots then. And, yeah, I mean, the idea that I would put the team ahead of every personal accomplishment at 18, 19 years old, it, it's a great goal to strive for. It is foolhardy to think it happens all the time, even for the great ones. And, and you're right, just like kind of the refreshing, yeah, man, like I, I kicked ass. Like I liked it. <laughs> I, I like it. And I liked his kind of sober, um, reflective attitude about his relationship with Coach Knight, which clearly mm-hmm. was not as close as, as many others that have come through. But he respected what he did for him as far as work ethic and preparation and things like that. And there are other things that really bothered him. And guess what? That's human. And that's real. And it doesn't denigrate the memory of what Bob Knight did at Indiana. To me, it bolsters, again, just the humanity of what Indiana University basketball is as a whole. Turns out, even genius all-time greats are flawed. Not, Not a big secret we're revealing here. And I think part of our love affair with Bob Knight is is he's family and you you forgive the the imperfections right because you see you see the the overarching love the greater for, good the greater good and the the love of the game the love of students the love of of higher education and creating these young men into to grown men who will go out into the world and accomplish things in their life. But, you know, sadly, we'll, we'll never be able to have Coach Knight on for one of these. But even that beautiful, beautiful event at the Bluebird and him coming back to Assembly Hall, uh, he's, he's certainly been a part of, of what we've got to witness here over the last couple of years. But we're getting as close to him as we can in many ways through a lot of these players that's there's good there's bad there's ugly but that's the case for all of us and and i think we we all just kind of the more we can understand the more in depth we can understand these players these coaches it makes us a better more understanding fan base and not necessarily accepting of of anything less than a return to greatness but when we do get there it's going to feel so much better. And when we fall short, it won't be as mean and vitriolic and, and divisive. I agree. It'll hurt just as bad, maybe even more. I think but, more. But our reaction to it yeah. will hopefully be a little bit more measured because you get to understand that guys like Charlie Miller didn't go out there and try to only average seven points a game. I mean, like, he didn't go out and try to miss three-pointers. You know, he... He, for the most part, the guys that played for us, for the most part, they busted their ass, especially guys that played under Coach Knight. They understood what it meant to play for the name Indiana. And if they didn't know when they came, which many didn't, let's be honest, many didn't, but they sure as hell did once they got there when the senior leadership and the upperclassmen leadership, the former players that would come back, the fans, they felt it. And, and, I mean, to a man, everyone that we've talked to who played under the Knight era talks about how special it was. 
and I think you made an interesting point of the way nobody showed up and tried to average seven a game. It's like the comparison in the pros is once you get that second big contract and you've made your money, you're not, you're not playing as hard when you're going in like with the year you're going into free agency. And I don't recall one guy we've talked to and we've talked to upwards of 70 players now. Not one of them showed up and was like, I got my scholarship. I got my four-year ride. I'm good. I'm just going to coast this bad boy out. That, that has, I would be shocked. Maybe there's been a few that have come through the doors that way, but they probably won't end up on the podcast. Yeah, I, I am with you. I totally agree. Well, we will be back next week with another one. We got some fun ones coming up. Uh, please follow us on Twitter if you are not at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics, no E, no I. But, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why? why? <laughs> I mean, Zoom, Zoom is great at a lot of things, but for the synchronized sometimes why, it sucks. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should just record it separately and, and then I'll lay it over each other. Or you just do it and then I'll add mine in. in no, post. no. Oh, okay, we can do that. <laughs> All right, let's, let's try that. And the sometimes why. Okay, we'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, we'll be back at you next week. And make sure you tune in on Thursday, Check Peaks. We'll have another reasonable Rabby episode, which have all been very fun to do. And this one, we, uh, this week, we, we take on a, a topic that was hotly discussed on the Peaks message boards in the last few weeks. Uh, oh, okay. and also also uh, on this week's Reasonable Rabbi, I'll be announcing that I too am running for the Board of Trustees. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm his consigliere. And working on my theme song. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll see you next week. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement of the restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.